0: back to this hardcore podcast you just heard will to live the new track molded just came out no echo had the opportunity to debut the video we're happy to play the song on this hardcore podcast if you fuck with will to live and you haven't heard go back to episode 48 and check out robin i's conversation which is jesus christ almost two years ago will to live the centerpiece of the lone star state the heart of a lot of Houston, Texas, Hardcore, I mean, there's so much that starts with Will to Live, and it's a great episode if you haven't checked it out. This is um off an LP called The Therapy Sessions, so make sure to check out Will to Live, not only have I been homies with these guys for well over 20 years, but one of the true hardest working, great stories in American Hardcore, and Rob's story is absolutely fucking fantastic, and I'm great to see Will to Live is back. Um, my buddy Daniel from Die Young's in it, my buddy Mike who played drums in MOD, back on, back behind the band, absolutely fantastic, and hopefully we get them up here in the East Coast, so, uh, this is a great episode, this one coming up, um, Jay Reason has been a friend of mine since I was 17 years old, which places us somewhere, well, in the area of almost 26 years of being friends, and... and his story is fucking fantastic. But before we get to it, let's get into the brass tacks here. This is Hardcore Season Continues. We are selling those two-day tickets. They're going fast. We are going to do what we can to make sure that people can get to the show. But you got to get your ticket. It's as simple as that. If you want to go two days, there's plenty of single Saturday, single Sunday. But if you want to go for the whole weekend, supplies are dwindling down. And that's not a selling point. That's an honest fact. Numerically, there is less tickets now than when we went on sale almost a month ago. So don't sleep on your two-day. We do have singles if you're just planning to go on Saturday Sunday. Obviously, Friday is completely sold out, so you don't have to worry about getting a ticket for that if you haven't already because you can't get in. Um, Philadelphia Hardcore shows have been absolutely fantastic and will continue to be fantastic because of Bob Wilson, Alex Bradley, Ben Stuckey, Chris X... And even every once in a while, I throw a little show on here and there. I'm going to scroll through our shit. The next show we got is May 4th, which is Last Man Out, Ephemeral, Symbiote, and Shot Out. This is a Bonks Bar. You know Bonks. You know the saying. Be there. And then um, we don't have much on the calendar per se for right now, but make sure you go to the Hard Times Tattoo Flea Market. Every time we've done them, they've been fucking fantastic. Hard Times in the Northeast Philadelphia. My brother Mike Hooligan. Alex Bradley is a piercer there. We have all of our friends there. Hardcore kids galore. Tons of cool shit to buy, good food, and a great way to hang out. And then uh, May 21st, it's a no pressure. Well, that's so, that show sold out. We have um, June 2nd, a show that we announced two, three weeks ago. That's Sensugabog Jarhead Fertilizer and Stabbed. That's on sale right now. June 2nd. Don't forget about that. June 2nd. And then we have a new show announced last week, which was Omerta, Mood Ring, Gates of Hell, and Moral Code. That's going to be a Mocha. That's an Alex Bradley show. Tickets are available for that, but that's a small venue, so don't sleep on that one. And then June 23rd, Incendiary, Volcano, Simulacra, Scarab. Woo! that one's, I'm not bullshitting you, halfway through the tickets. So we're on the downside of that show. Don't sleep on that one. And um, next week I'll announce the June 24th show. We're getting close. we got to get that one out there. But it's going to be a benefit for Kev One at the First Unitarian Church. Full lineup coming. And um, since we're talking about reunions, it would be remiss because today, Friday, the show goes on sale to anyone who didn't have the tied-down fest tickets. Cold as life is back. If you hadn't gone to it, make sure you check out the episode with Jeff Gunnels. I did Two years ago. Um, probably one of my favorite conversations to have. Long friend, time friend. He's back. This this lineup's unfucking believable. Cold as Life, Terror, Integrity, Death Threat, Hate Inc., Shattered Realm, Debt Before Dishonor, New World Man, MH Chaos, D Block, Poison Tongues, Blue Collar Stompers. This goes on sale today, October 7th, 2023. That's. That's the date. So you got some time, but this show goes on today, and I think this one's going to get the sellout. As at the Russell Industrial Center in Detroit, which I believe that's the same place where Tied Down Fest is, I'm going to have Jimmy and Kurt from Tied Down come on and be a part of the podcast soon, but um, yeah, very proud, very honored to be a part of the Cold is Life benefit show, uh, benefit show, the reunion show rather, and so excited for Jeff and the guys to return to the stage. So, October 7th, as life is back. Interesting hardcore world. Thank you for those who watched the video I put out last week. And um, we are moving forward not only in video, but also continuing our podcast. So, thank you for supporting us. Like I said, Jay Reason from Connecticut. You know, his story is fucking fantastic. If you want to learn about how to be able to get to the next level of things or you got to take some input from this interview the things that he brings up the way that he goes about things and kind of like a uh not cl- not careless not clueless but because he doesn't have the Thought like, oh, I can't do it. He goes out and does some amazing shit. He worked with Jamie Haybreed through the entire rise of Haybreed through Stillborn Records to the late 2000s. And he continues on his band, uh, Voice of Reason. We talk a lot about that. We get into the distance and then we talk a little bit about just generally what he's up to now with his record shop and his record label, Static Era. Again, somebody I've been friends with for a long time. I was just the guest on his podcast with EZAC, Danny Diablo's Den, number 13. And uh, check that out as well. But I'm not going to talk too much on this one. I'm excited about having this one come out. And um, thank you, Jay, for having me on your podcast. And I'm glad to return the favor. Keep listening. This podcast are going to start coming out maybe not just on Fridays. we got a lot of people who are playing This Is Hardcore. So we're going to try to fit as many people in between now. And this is Hardcore, which is the first beat of August. And also, before I leave, big shout out to the Young Brothers for bringing back Twitching Tongues. I'm sure at some point they're going to play Philadelphia and they're going to tear the roof off this place. So, Cold as Life is back. Twitch and Tongues is back. Will to Live's got a new song. And you're about to hear a two-hour conversation with me and Jay Reason. So, take care. Fuck yes. This is a, this is a fucking awesome one for me. <laughs> Welcome to the show, my very longtime old friend, Mr. Jay Reason.
1: Yes, thank you, Joe, so much. I, I got I to be honest, I was all day, was waiting to do this with you, man. We had a great conversation uh, last week on, our, on me and uh, Danny, uh, Mr. Isaac's podcast, and dude, you and I got to talk about so much stuff that literally today, all day, I, uh, I said to Viv and everybody else, I said, I, I'm going to be fucking busy today for a, lo- a little while, because I said, me and my boy, Joe, we're going to go, and we're going to go back in a time machine we're gonna go way back. we're gonna go way back and we're gonna talk about letter (laughs) writing and fucking thank you lists and fucking cds and all all the shit in between man so a dude thank you so much uh for having me on your show i i very much appreciate it dude i don't do a lot of podcasts not because i don't get asked i do get asked i just am very selective i have always wanted to be on yours dude so thank you again for for doing this and i want to thank you for being on our podcast the episode was awesome um, really pulled back the curtain on a lot of things, which was so much fun, dude. And, and so many laughs, bro. I, I fucking, when I was editing that shit, I was cracking the fuck up. There's a handful of stories that I could talk about on there that were so good.
0: No, man. And honestly, being a part of your podcast was important to me, not only because of my relationship with you, but with Isaac, but also because sometimes the podcast that I get asked to, I feel like it's awesome young kids who want to ask questions, but we don't have that kind of Automatic friendship, the laughter. And when I started breaking balls, I made jokes on some where they go flat. And I'm like, oh, man, yeah, a,
1: No, totally, You know, I like, to have,
0: I like to have the fun. I like to mix it up. And the energy was great. And I, I really appreciated being a part of D, um, Danny Diablo's Den podcast.
1: Yeah, I, I, it was awesome. I'm like you, man. Like you said, I definitely, when I do these, you know, like I said, I've done a handful of them. But they're always people I know, um, always people I feel very comfortable talking with, uh, you know, like yourself. Uh, I get asked to do a ton of shit, you know, just this, a lot of business, music business type of shit, just because of the the nature of the shit I'm involved in in, in present day. Um, and I don't even really like doing those, man. I, I think it's, uh, there's a scene for that. It's just not my thing, man. I got to feel comfortable with the person. Again, I don't want to say, I know if I'm talking to you, whatever I say, you're going to, you're know exactly how I mean it versus if I talk, you know, to something else and maybe say the wrong thing, somebody might interpret that uh, differently, you know, mm-hmm.
0: No, and and it's with this we're gonna we're gonna start this where I like to start a lot of things. I know you from your very first band in Connecticut, but I, I've always now knowing that you have, uh, Cubano culture <laughs> yeah. in your bloodline yeah. and all this other stuff that I looked into and we yeah. just talked about. Where Which did you crazy. did you
1: grow up in Connecticut or so did yeah, you, so bo- you moved to Connecticut. No, so both both my parents came over. Uh, like my dad was in high school, my mom was in uh, in high school too. They met here. They're still together till this day. They had uh, me and my brother. Shout out to my older brother, John. They had us pretty young. um, You know, literally like grew up in a house where little English spoke. You know, so I speak Spanish, you know, till this day. A majority of my family, my grandparents who aren't with me and us any longer didn't speak any English. So, you know, dude, I mean, up until I was probably you know 10 11 would go with them and order like mcdonald's for them in english or go and translate for them and shit so like a lot of shit like that um you know so yeah man like they had us really young i grew up in connecticut uh the house was always had music and shit my parents were always like really into like like i was just telling you before we joined down, we just had my dad's 70th birthday and it had like a dj and disco music and stuff so that was kind of always the vibe um yeah, I mean, it was a really, really cool thing, and it's uh, it's cool to see them still together. They're getting ready to celebrate uh, fifty years marriage in August, which is pretty cool.
0: Dude, now congratulations to them. I I think when I think about Connecticut hardcore, you know, you could start from so many different points of view. Uh, the guys before me, who I'm still friends with, the old Philly guys would go up to the Anthrax Club, but you know, for us, the first shows were like the Tune In. Yep. The skate park. And then we made a couple, I think we made like two trips way early up to the L and G and I thought I was like in, I'm like, this yeah, we is used like to, where Sasquatch we, is.
1: we actually, <laughs> and, and, yo, we used to, no disrespect to any of my homies in, in that area. We used to call that the Europe of Connecticut. Cause it was like, you might as well have been, I mean, Joe, when I tell you that shit was like another scene, bro, there was, and this, you know, I know we're going to touch on this a little bit. This is just going to show you how small, the state was like pre-internet type shit right because now it's like you throw something up on the internet bro in the state everybody fucking knows you this felt like you know lng from i'm in milford connecticut i don't know if anybody knows where that is like new haven area lng is like 45 or 50 minutes right which is fucking nothing dude it might as well have felt like you were in literally germany um because it just felt like such a different world and the bands were so different the styles of music and and Dress was so different than what we would call like the main hood of kids, you know, like the New Haven kind of Fairfield area. Kids. Yeah. Um. But yeah, dude, you're you're right. That just was fuck. I mean, bro, that's sometimes I'll go out because the casinos out by there, and that still feels fucking far as fuck.
0: Now, being a a Spanish speaking American kid in New Haven, what was the music that got you? Not too hardcore, but like the first music. To get you on the way to finding hardcore punk
1: So de- I gotta again I gotta say it's for my brother My older brother was a Hessian metalhead. You know so punk, yeah. yeah he was like Does he still have his long hair now? You know what dude yeah he grew it back years ago It's actually longer than ever so He was punk, always a yeah. uh, Good job John Yeah he was a fucking shredder I was always really jealous of how amazing of a guitar player he was He was in some hardcore bands that Didn't really do anything but but you know Luckily he would let me Kind of tag along you know um, but I would say, like, my first exposure to something, so I, I think, Joe, like, you and I are pretty close in age, if not exact the exact age. I'm 44, so I was a hip-hop kid, and that's what I fucking loved, like, super into hip-hop growing up and, you know, being exposed to my, did you Did you get hit
0: by the kids on the street, or did you hear it on the radio? So, course?
1: my cousin, uh, my first, like, very early memory, and I don't even know if I should have, like, been exposed to it at this age, but I was, like... Man, second grade, I think. And I had my my cousin Paul, who is my brother's age. And we would, he would call, he'd call me on the phone because he was a uh, you know, uh single kid, you know, no, no brother, no sister. So he would he would call me. I was like, you know, a little kid, and we would just talk on the phone. And he had Beastie Boys licensed to ill. And I would be like, yo, Paul, play me Brass Monkey. Cause I was a little kid and I would just love hearing the monkey, you know, like I thought it was so funny. And he would play it for me over the phone um so i was always just into hip-hop and that was kind of my exposure to that but my brother first played to me um it was uh misfits uh he had uh walk among us on cassette and joe i just thought that shit was the coolest thing dude he like i remember he had it in a it was a white ford ltd that my dad gave him it had tape deck player he fucking put that shit on and like i said he was always a metal guy so he was the dude who was into like real crazy shit at the time dude you know like uh slayer obituary he loved all the real heavy heavy shit um but that was like my first exposure man was him like kind of showing me like misfits and then i would say like what really got me into it dude was he he had a band called vision 12 that you know they opened for Madball and they did a couple of things they played tune in a bunch and skate park and uh, sports palace which you'll remember from back in the day um, and dude, you know, like I was kind of a bad kid and up through high school. Like, so I wasn't really allowed to hang out with people because I was always just like in trouble. But my mom would let me go with my brother because she figured, okay, you're with your brother, so like you could do this. Little did she know, I was like making like probably worse decisions, you know, with worse people. But I loved it, dude, and I just kept going back. And I would say, like him exposing me to like that those the shows and stuff, bro, was really like, fuck, I love this, and I just love the vibe and and just. I thought it was the coolest thing dude I never seen no shit like that People like Janet Jackson in my school You know what I mean dude I never seen no shit like that
0: uh, Did you ever go to a rock concert Or any kind of like live music thing Before like a hardcore show My
1: parents were super strict on both of us dude Like again being from another country Like and it was weird dude Like we didn't really know we were like I don't want to say weird But like outsiderish until we started like growing up Like cause like we weren't allowed to like stay over friends' houses, and, like, just a lot of weird shit like that. You know what I mean? That was different from, like, a lot of American kids. So, like, we weren't able to go to, like, concerts. And, like, I remember when we moved to another town, like, we couldn't ride our bike anymore because it was, like, a busy street. Like, just bullshit. Like, my mom, you know, growing up in, like, Cuba was scared of a lot of things and just, you know, she a lot of, like, shit happened to her when, you know, they came and took all their shit or whatever. But um you know it wasn't really till we got older and then my brother the first thing i can i went to that was say like not a you know like not a concert was uh my brother took me to see corn play or super early on at toads because he loved them like they were still on college radio and he what's,
0: was what's what town was toads in? i remember new that town in but I can't remember haven, that, in new haven it was dead in t- it was like right off the highway yeah but- two terms that was like one of the easiest one of the easier it was great less That's, sketchy places to get to yeah. i remember we get off the highway that
1: was a, and it wouldn't like it was right by the tune in, actually like you'd get off almost exactly. the same exit too. so so toads was like the is the, it's still around it's the bigger rock club but my brother was like you know he loved my brother loved sepultura roots and that was like you know that kind of downtuned ross robinson shit so he loved corn early on and he was like yo you want to go to this and I was like, yeah, I just do Anything to like not be home, because like I told you, I man, I was always in trouble, like at school and shit. Um, so anything to not be home. And my brother took me to that. And then again, like from there, he was like, oh, yo, you know, Vision 12's playing. You want to go? We're playing like this teen center. We're going to We're playing this place. And I would just do it. to Like, again, I'm so thankful that he let me do it, dude, because I, I don't think if the roles were reversed, I would have always wanted somebody like hanging around me. Um, And I know, like, you know, I I probably annoyed my brother a lot, um, but I'm so thankful because of him. You know, I really do. Like I said, we were talking about this on the podcast the other day. My whole life has kind of been built around that fucking that whole this whole thing, you know. So when you get into this,
0: obviously, the Internet gives us so much more than what we had when you and I had coming into this. How did you even make the first steps towards getting did you have a band before Voice Reason or was Voice yeah, Reason? Yeah, no, I had, some,
1: I had some little bands. And actually, again, dude, I, I got to give credit to my brother here because my brother was the one who saw it in me to be in a band. So he said to me, so like, my, like again, my, my brother always liked the really heavy music, like death metal, uh, like shit that I'm not into, right? So, like, when I would hear some of the stuff he liked, I was kind of like, yeah, it's all right. But I love Misfits, a little more faster, a little more punk rock, you know? And I remember him saying to me, like, oh, there's this thing called old school hardcore that, that I think you would sound good over. And it's, like, faster. And I think you, you would sound good on it, you know? And, you know, dude, so I played in, like, I had, like, two or three shitty bands before voice Waste the One of them was called, like, Links for Minus. It had no real name. It was just, like, stupid bullshit. But some of those songs and parts... I ended up, my brother ended up kind of like introducing me to who would become like the real guitar player in voice of reason at the time. Like, you know, I was just, like I said, bullshitting with neighborhood dudes. And he was like, oh, you should meet this dude, Mike. And Mike kind of like joined, you know, what was, tur- what was turning into voice of reason. And he brought in actual like real song structure. And he listened to like cool West coast punk rock, like a lot of like fat Wreck oh, yeah. shit, you know? So it was like this, it was like, again, dude, I got to give credit to my brother because he saw it in me to go and do this when I was just like kind of still in a hip hop do I was getting into a lot of trouble just like causing a lot of grief for my parents for really you know do I was just a teenager dude just like in a town that really you know dude I didn't know we were poor till like a certain age and then you realize you're like oh my parents just like we able to buy this house like in this town we're not like rich you know what I mean like I didn't have like fucking Reebok pumps until they were like almost out of style. Like you know what I mean? Like shit. Like I have, like dude. I took the bus until I wasn't in high school no more. You know, everyone else is like driving in, and I'm like, yo, I'm taking the bus. Like You know, like that kind of shit. We were like, you know, um, Connecticut
0: is an interesting place because there's such a Latino community and all the downtowns. But like the TV, and obviously you've got Yale, you've got like the idea that like Connecticut is like. The white dude with the blonde hair, and yeah, sweater with the V and skull and bones. But you pull off at the exit on ninety-five or fifteen, and it's like <laughs> it could be some fucking hood shit. Oh yeah, bro, quick. go
1: to go to like Bridgeport, Fairhaven, go to some parts of Hartford. <laughs> you know, dude, even go to like some parts of Waterbury and shit like that. And it's like it's so funny too, man, because not jumping too you far. You guys
0: got mad trees too, so for us. We would get off the highway and it was always dark by the time we. Would. I've never been <laughs> till I was like in my early 20s in Connecticut in the daytime. We always got there at night. So all I know is dark trees and it was either going to be like mostly white kids at the shows, but you had to drive through a hood to get to it, yep. or you just showed up in the middle of downtown, parked, and hope your shit didn't get broken.
1: Yeah. I don't think that's still changed. Most of the venues are still in locations like that, <laughs> you know. Um, the one cool thing I'll say. I guess you know, now versus even then, man, it's like, um, I think Connecticut as a whole, the scene right now is just so and it's, you I think you talked about this on your podcast a bunch. It's just thriving right now everywhere. Um, and it's just cool to see such a diversity of kids and and uh, you know, male, female, uh, they, them, like all of it coming together. Whereas like, you know, man, I remember growing up and shit was still terrifying, dude. And it was always still like a bunch of dudes and like you know all this stuff so it is kind of cool to see uh it open up a little bit more you know i think it it always it's like i said i I always like that shit evolves you know that about me
0: well i think if you look at the the entrance point you know if you there was a time even before us where you truly had to be walked into a hardcore show
1: yeah oh yeah there
0: wasn't there wasn't like that uh Sunday, 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 like the fucking <laughs> yeah. monster trucks. Like, I, like, there was no way to find a hardcore no, show. No, dude, and
1: like... yo, I'll, You I'll... had to
0: go by a venue. You had, to, you had to have some inkling of interaction. And then proceeding from the 90s into the 2000s, you know, we could say that the outlet through Warp Tour gave minor exposure to elements of a, of, of a subculture, but still not at the level to bring people to hardcore. It took until you have this video instagram this video twitter the tiktok in this in this current era where people could actually see beyond the curtain because you see a band name like i saw the name sick of it all and i'm like that's fucking sounds cool as fuck you know like i was just you know like
1: i was just gonna say the same thing man so it's like when i tell you that i dove into this after my brother got me into it dude like i would just go to the tune in friday saturday sunday i didn't even know what the fuck was playing but I would just like I was like I knew something was there, and they you know what was cool was tune in and I don't know if you'll remember this Joe but like when you walked into the like left of the building there was a little record store in there called Elevator Music, yeah. and mm-hmm. the guy and the dude Fernando would bring in like all the Revelation shit all the Victory shit he had a label that put out some really cool comps like that Collision with Tradition comp and some other cool shit and um you know man I remember. That was kind of too like the first exposure of like, what the fuck is this? Like people put out shit because again, dude, I was only exposed to like strawberries, you know. Like that was my record store. Like I didn't know that you could go and make your own fucking tape, you know, with shit. Like, like again, man, I always, um, loved bands and music and all that shit. And like, had I known, you know, like you could do that shit, which which you know, I, I end up finding out you could, and that that's what made me start, you know, voice to reason and stuff. But like, bro, when I tell you that that was like, my mind was blown. I was like, this is a whole nother world of music, you know? And it was like, I would ask my brother, I'm like, well, I liked, you know, say we would see whatever dude, fast break or something like that. I'd be like, yo, I
0: love that. There's no way you haven't seen fast break at (laughs) My, one of my favorite Connecticut hardcore, so we, so Static, Cornerstone, you know you saw both of
1: them, so so bro, so, so I don't know if you know this, but I'm going to shout it out really quick, was, so Static Air, my label, actually reissued uh, Cornerstone on streaming, and it was actually remixed and remastered by Zeus, so it sounds, when I tell you it sounds like it was just recorded yesterday, bro, like if you always love that record, it sounds, dude, we. So Steve and I, I don't want to get too far off topic here, but I do want to tell the story is so Steve from fast break was, was in cornerstone first. Right. So that shout out to my yeah. boy, Steve Pika, And, and yo, just like you, dude, I, I would text them. When I started the label, I was like, yo, give me cornerstone, give me fast break. And I was like, and I got to get dismay. So, I, and, and I, I punished the guys from dismay forever, but yo, that that's on streaming too. So listen, when I come knocking on your text bro for a record, come cause you're going to get paid. You know what I mean? So we fucking, I said to Pika, I was like, yo, let's do this. Uh, Let's do this fast break shit. Let's do this cornerstone shit, you know? So, dude, to to his credit, he was like, dude, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. He tracked down the fucking tapes, like the actual people in their head are picturing, like, tape, you know, like cassette tapes. No, I'm saying, like, the real. It's a big-ass reel. Yeah, yo, we're <laughs> yeah, like. exactly. Where, Joe, there was only one machine in, like, fucking Australia or something that Steve found that could digitize this shit, right? So Steve Steve got every fucking, all the stems fucking mixed. We had, he sent them to Zeus. Dude, Zeus fucking reamped everything, re-fucking... Dude, this thing sounds... When I tell you it sounds like it came out on Triple B yesterday, it's fucking... It sounds like this. Dude, you'll, you you got to hear it after this. Um, so we, shout out to Steve. We, we just put that up, and then we, we put up Fast Break. But, um, and all the Fast Break was, re, uh, was remastered by Zeus, too. So that shit sounds amazing. Um, so But what I was saying was, you know, I'd go to, like, Elevator Music, the Fernando, or I'd go to my brother... And I would say like, yo, I love this or I like this band. Um, and dude, there was so much there was just so much shit, dude. And again, there was no Internet. So it's like you just kind of took a chance. You'd see the, the cover of something. I can't tell you how many terrible fucking albums I bought. <sighs> but I listened to them and I was like, I tried to find something I liked about each one of them. Right. Because, again, dude, I didn't you know, I worked. I, I pretty much got a, my first job at 16. Like, you know, my parents were pretty they, my parents were, are the are the best. Um, but you know, if we needed if I wanted sneakers or some shit like that, like I had to get that. That was on my own, you know. So I always worked first job at like 16 and shit. So, you know, I'd get bummed when I bought something. So I always tried to find like the best in it. So I like Yvonne shout out to Yvonne he'll uh I like a lot of shitty records because of that. You know what I mean? Dude, just because of like forcing myself to earn that ten dollar spent listen.
0: <laughs> well, and this is something we I talked about in different episodes here. You buy a record. You're not gonna be a bitch and be like, yo, this fucking sucks. Like you're gonna be like yo, I might as well listen to this right. shit. Especially you back then up-
1: because you you don't know well, if you're gonna get to that record store again, dude. You don't know what the fuck they're gonna have, you know. Like, you know, man, I, I remember one time in general, me uh me and Yvonne used to we that's like we used to do everything. Shout together. out to Yvonne. Just shout out to Yvonne we still do everything together. But we would we would take my mom's car and we'd tell her, Oh yeah, we're just going down the street and we would drive, bro, fucking everywhere. And shout out, mom, if you're listening uh we would go to like you know Trash America which was like our record store it was in Danbury and i vividly remember Yvonne being like oh i want uh youth to today break down the walls right which now dude you want youth to break down the walls probably type it up fuck on youtube you have it in 2 seconds yeah. right dude we drove an hour they didn't fucking have it but you know what dude he bought something else i bought something else went home and we were fucking psyched cuz we got something we drove it was cool you know now it's like it's right there, dude. You want to know what something sounds like? You know, you're not taking a chance, which um, it's, it's good and it's bad, right? Like, I mean, dude, young me would have loved fucking Spotify. I love it till this day, you know? The, everything's at your fingertips yeah. spot. Uh,
0: I'll, I'll celebrate the simplicity of today, but I have to defend the thought process that I've been fucking ramming down people's throats that Spotify has given the ability for someone to show up and not piecemeal and put things together because it's a click of a button, you know, like um, on an even platform, which is physically what Spotify is. There's no discernation between hardcore punk and metal. And if you're selling records and trying to boost your band, that's great. But as you're coming up in the underground and the hardcore scene, like we had the opportunity to find these gems and to understand the complete difference, you know, like I bought a ticket and seen corn at the, place in Philadelphia on South Street and the opening band was Lords of Brooklyn and the middle band oh, was Shout Our
1: Caves. Yeah he's the rules. <laughs>
0: Dude, but like that was a weird show, but that's what kind of some of right. the shit in the in the in the mid nineties was these bands that didn't have a place like corn having a place to play just in these mixed bills things. But because I'd seen Manball and because Twenty Five life had played in that venue because of all these places, I could tell this is not a hardcore band. But in a world of just flat you dial it in, you get it. it. There's no, there's no, for these younger kids, they don't see the difference between the two. Like, Oh, well, why isn't it well, like this? All right. So I'm I'm going to tell different.
1: you're totally going to understand what I'm saying with this. I, and I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget was that a lot of my music taste, right. Was modeled after very much the very catalog. So yeah. to me, fuck yeah. there was like, like I'm gonna use Get Up Kids as an example of this, right? So like Get Up Kids was in the very catalog next to fucking Earth Crisis ads. So to me, you know, an in Initial Records and a Rev and a Victory, it was all kind of the same shit. Um, you know, now everything is sub, and I get why they do that, dude. Again, I I work in this shit, so I understand that that you know, from a metadata perspective, that shit needs to be cataloged a certain way, whatever, right? But dude, I can't tell you how many bands that if I said, if you asked me our hardcore band, that if they were in the fucking very catalog, i would be like, yeah, that's a fucking hardcore band or it's a hardcore Jason band. And it it might fucking not be, but because that's how we consume shit. I mean, dude, I used to read that thing fucking cover to cover. Like, like Joe, I'll tell you, I would
0: circle. I promise you I would circle. And then if I really want some, I would come back and highlight it. And uh, for those who don't know, what which John very from Philadelphia. Yeah. He took a table distro and turned it into a worldwide empire with a thick magazine. It was so fucking... All, ah. all hardcore people from Philadelphia, different all the guys older than myself, like Robbie Cheeks, my buddy Jamie Getz, who played in Turmoil, uh, Fat Rich. There's so many people that just in between touring and doing other hardcore stuff would work there. This catalog, basically pre the termination of Revelation is the big distro now. There's right. not that many others. You went to John to get your stuff distributed worldwide. Well, so so, this magazine basically was it. Now,
1: and everything an had episode. this little, everything had this cool little blurb. So it was like, what, you know, whatever, it'd be like fast break, uh, new Connecticut hardcore, ex members of fucking Wide Awake or some shit that you would just be like, fuck, I gotta have that, you know, like, and again, this is pre internet. So you're, you know, you're, you're just never seeing all of this shit presented. And then all the labels that we, like Joe, had ads in this thing. Like, dude, I remember when the voice of reason 7-inch came out on, on C's records. Shout out, uh, rest in peace, John Luciano, who, who put that out. We had a, a little half-page ad in there for it. And, dude, I thought it was the fucking coolest thing in the whole wide world. Because it was like everybody was looking at that. It also meant that Very was carrying the fucking 7-inch. You know what I mean? It was just a different time. Like I can't tell you how big things like that felt to someone like me. Again, dude, somebody who loved music and worked in a record store and all that shit, it just felt bro, it felt like it was another world.
0: I I I completely can relate. Uh we had our first record out with Too Damn Hype.
1: Shout out, man. And
0: when John and when John started having health issues and all the other stuff going down, there is still cases. Uh, but the building is probably sold now. But there was this moment where the owner, who hadn't been paid in many years, basically took all of the very content. I, rem- I remember. Jamie Getz, was, Jamie Getz was like, do you want me to sneak you out some punishment CDs? <laughs> like, but to me, just to be in that building before tour and show up oh. and John had the CDs was like a surreal moment for us. So- now, what I want to get to with that is when you resolve an initial and rev, The thing about it is the people that started the bands that didn't sound like hardcore bands, they were hardcore kids. They'd gone to the shows. They bought the records. They knew the shit. Today, you could be some fucking herb off the block, and either you have your palm or your chug, 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 (laughs) or you want to sound like some soft-ass singing shit, and you can have no – inclination or attachment to hardcore but the first fucking place you're going to play is a hardcore show because you don't just get to walk in on the big stage
1: well and so listen that's, the, that's it's always that, easier so, too i think that people it, it, okay i'm going to say this i mean i'm going to say it very delicately but it's like <laughs> it's it's very easy to use hardcore as a stepping stone if you get what I'm that's saying, that's what it is well that's so, what it
0: is for all those bands the metal bands and that's why when you said the word adjacent, it's like there's no adjacency. We're your fucking ladder because your band's just like Corn and all the other bands that had no fucking place to play. Right. Build their name up. Build their. Now we talk about the numbers aspect.
1: You build your numbers up, and then you're like, see yep. you hardcore, okay, see, right? And listen, and, and, and that's and, the part that you and I know a lot about, right? So, it's, it's... <laughs> but yeah, like so you know, like you were saying, man, it's just, it's one of these things that growing up, everything was so together that. Again, man, somebody will say to me, like, Oh, the getup kids are this or that. And I'm like, I don't know, man. They were fucking in very catalog. And I bought that Woodson EP at fucking trash and Yeah, they just played,
0: like, they toured they toured on Cole some Lass. of their biggest records. Some yeah. <laughs> they toured on some of their biggest records on some of the smallest DIY things. They to this day, regardless of the size of the band, them guys would still play this hardcore oh, if we went on a like, fucking- those guys are a
1: I saw them. They're at, an independent uh, band and they came up on their own. I saw them at the Europe of Connecticut at the LNG, actually, for the first time way back, you know. <laughs> so I, I love it, the man. And like like I said, ever I everything that. back then just felt so different. You know, I mean, listen, I love a lot of the shit that's popping now, but there was something that was very uh cool about back in the day, you know?
0: Well, it was organic. Everything's like even our friendship, it was organic. It wasn't like I saw your at on Twitter. And we started chatting, and then we saw each other a year from now to show. Oh, you're that at, and I'm yeah, this. No, at. no, no, no. Like, it was
1: very much like, dude. I, I very much, I think we talked about a little bit. I, I just, I remember going up to you, like we kind of. And I think too, I, I think you were saying this on your podcast. Or I, I, if I'm, if I'm wrong, if I heard it somewhere else, or something. Uh, but how much? older everybody looked back then so i think when i saw yeah. you i was like oh this is a dude was like kind of my age you know and everybody else looks so much fucking older well
0: that's exactly it like you kind of like <laughs> there is that moment like you know like I-, I was probably at the same height i am at now yeah but like you see a bit vid- you see pictures i'm 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 like a fucking i'm like popeye skinny you know like and so i see like oh that guy's actually my age yeah, have a yeah, beard yeah. yet you know like yeah. and so it was cool as fuck Let's get to let's get to the beginning of voice of reason. Yeah, for I know sure. we up on a tangent. What was the what was the pulling point to actually getting the real voice of reason full thing together? And then what was the first steps in the band?
1: So pulling it together, I, I gotta be I gotta be honest. So it was like I saw my brother took me to a show at the tune in to see twenty five to life. Okay? Fuck yeah you and I both know that in this era, when I talk of Rick to life, we're talking about a different person, not the one that was abducted we're by an alien. About, we're talking about, yeah, right. Man. Yeah. Not the one that was abducted by an alien. We're talking about the band. Okay. Yeah. So the line dude for this place, I mean, Joe easily fucking around the block. You're talking, this is like 96, you know, so peak time of them just being fucking huge. And uh, my brother takes me to see them. I see them on the stage and I was like, kids were going nuts and I was like I, th- I could do this you know because every other band I had seen until then was kind of musical or had do like they just had something we're like this time Rick was just literally up there yelling I don't even know if he was saying words and I was like I think I could do this you know so again I kind of touched on it earlier was that you know I was you know kind of messing around with like some neighborhood kids but my brother had said to me like oh, I-, I got a dude who who can play with you and when when we got Mike Sabia into voice of reason he kind of said to me, like, look, dude, you're good, but these other dudes are just, like, it's just not cool. Like, we if we're going to make it, we got to, like, change the name. We got to write some cool songs. Um, Because, again, Joe, I hadn't really been exposed to a lot of that shit And where Mike was, like, a little bit – we're the same age, but he was exposed, like, say, six months, seven months earlier, which back then, dude, might as well have been 20 years, you know? Yeah. So he says to me, like, oh, yo, I know this kid, Van, uh, who can play drums. And it was funny. So, dude, I think I'm probably, like – 16 Mike is like 16 Van's 14 at the time so he didn't even fucking drive or nothing right but he was a fucking awesome drummer and we were like you know what let's just make it happen right and I remember that like we would practice at Van's house and then we got um the bass player was a kid a neighborhood dude that I you know was a friend of mine he was all right he was, he was good enough to just kind of do the job, but Mike, me and van were were writing all this stuff. And, and we were like, let's like really try to make these songs good. So dude, we would practice, you know, and again, dude, back then we didn't have nothing else to do. There's nothing, you know, there's no video games. There's no internet. So we would practice two or three times a week, which was mostly hanging out, but you'd play sometimes I'm sure similar to like, you know, like your practices then. And, um, I remember at the time, uh, shout out to van was like he had an older brother who like really again exposed us to like minor threat and just some cooler other bands that i just didn't really know about yet because again there was no internet you know like so i didn't really know a lot about that discord kind of stuff whatever but we would sit there and we'd look through cds right and and i always saw one name don fury all the time every record dude like gb af all this shit right so we just would see this dude's name. And I remember just saying like, yo, we should just go record there. Like, I didn't think nothing of it, you know? <laughs> I, dude, again, Go this is right not, to the fucking- Well, that's like, so sick. listen, dude, this was just like, this is- And again, dude, this is how I think in 2023. So nothing has fucking changed, right? So at that time, I'm working at Strawberries, which was a- It's a record- It was a record chain. Um, and it was right up the street from my, my house. We lived on- uh, the post road, which is like a main street. So I would walk to work, you know? And I remember at the time getting a phone number. I think I just literally Joe called like four one, one and said like, you know, wherever, wherever Huntington beach, wherever revelation was. And I got a phone number for revelation. Right. And I remember calling under the guys that I was calling from the store. And I said, uh, Oh yeah, this is Jay. Uh, I'm calling from Strawberries. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to track down Don Fury. You want to talk to him or whatever? <laughs> and I just get put on hold, and they're like, "Oh, hold on a second. Like two two minutes later, they give me a fucking phone number. And it's like, yeah, here's fucking whatever. So again, dude, this is like no internet. No, nothing. I probably could have called in, information in New York, but I just I didn't even know where this guy existed because he was just he only existed on the back of album covers to me. dude. He wasn't a yep. real in the liner notes. Yeah, he wasn't a real person. And again, dude, to show you how out of touch I was with what we were asking for at the time. He had just finished. Civ um, can't wait one minute more. Well, like he's still. <laughs> no yeah, no big deal. <laughs> big right. Deal. So whatever. So I call this dude. And I remember I remember fucking vividly because uh, you talked about this on the on our podcast is all the long distance and the phone bills. So, again, dude, if I had ran a phone bill, my dad fucking let me know. And I wasn't allowed to do that. So I would use Strawberry's phone line in the back. And I left a message (laughs) on Don Fury's phone just saying, like, hey, this is Jay. I've got a band called Voice of Reason. We want to record with you. And I gave my 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 parents' phone number. Like, I didn't, you know, I was like, fuck it. What else? Like, what is there to do? So, like, I don't know, maybe a two a two or three days later, I get home from, I wasn't in school, so I don't know what the fuck I was doing, but came home and my mom's like, uh, I might actually been at work. My mom's like, oh, some guy named Don F- Free called for you. She couldn't even say it with her accent, you know, she's like, this guy <laughs> so called you, whatever. And I was like, Oh shit. So I dude, Joe. I was psyched, man. So I, again, I lived right up the street from strawberries. So my mom plays the message. I, I grab the number. I fucking walk back to strawberries and my, my boy was working. So I said, yeah, I was like, yo, let me go in the back and use the phone. He's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I called Don Fury and he's like, yeah, man, I'm in. And he's like, and dude, this was at the time. So what? 96, something like that. Maybe 95, whatever. And he's like, it's $60 an hour. Which is, like yeah, which is crazy, man. You know? <laughs> that's
0: and I'm like, crazy okay, money. Oh,
1: when I tell you, I just said yes, because my brain just couldn't, I was like, Oh, that's no problem, dude. Like, yeah, let's do it. And he's like, all right, I'm going to need like, uh, I think we maybe had to send a money order or something. I just remember that we had to come up with, uh, fuck. And dude, people are going to kill us for saying this now, but I think we spent like about a thousand dollars back then to do the demo. But the way I rationalized it to everybody was like if each one, cause there was four of us and I was like, yo, if each one of us just puts in 250, and again, I was working. So you're talking maybe like two months worth of checks, whatever pay was then, you know, a $4 an hour or some shit. But I had stressed to the band that like, if we were going to do this, because again, dude, there was all these great bands around us at the time, you know, fast break, uh, some of all fears, follow through, uh, so dude just oh, like yeah. you know Hatebreed was just Josta was ending Hate Hatebreed's coming up there's all these great bands and I'm like I'm like we if we're gonna try to do this dude we can't go to and this is no it was no disrespect to the neighborhood dudes we just couldn't go there so I remember dude it took us a couple months to save up but we had rehearsed the songs that are on the demo so much dude like again we just would play them so much they evolved from the original incarnation of uh, what would become voice reason so again dude I remember we didn't even have I didn't have my driver's license my uh, my dad drove us to the studio and just literally sat so upstairs sad. for fucking eight hours while we like jammed away. And I remember thinking we could do it all in one day because we just had no idea.
0: Yeah. as and, every first band's first studio. Like, right. We got this one day. We're knocking right. this out, baby. And
1: so that's how I think we ended up at the thousand mark. I think originally we were like, oh, we only got to save five hundred. So it was like one twenty five each. And then it was like, oh, we got to come back for the mix and all this other shit. But, dude, shout out to Fury was that, like, he saw something in us to take that chance. Because he wasn't at that time, you couldn't just really book with him. Like, he was expensive and he was just coming off, like, that Civ record, biohazard. And we just didn't know, dude. Like, I remember us recording the demo and we didn't know who Sammy was at the time. And, yo, Sammy just, like, walks into the basement and he's like, Oh, well what, what what band do you guys blah blah and and we're just like who is this dude because we just had no i mean joe when i tell you we were yeah you didn't know you we, didn't know <laughs> we didn't fucking know and my dad's upstairs watching like the news you know reading the fucking paper you know like i just had no idea um but that session solidified my relationship with fury who i still talked to till this day and, and voice reason outside of like a couple of sessions that were released it recorded everything with him um but that was to me, Joe, like I would say even something that sticks with me now was like seeing Don Fury's name and saying like, OK, if we're going to try to dive in with these bands and we ain't shit, how do we make an impression? And I got to be honest, I I think it it disrupted a lot of the old heads. I mean, I later found out in later years, people were just like. It was just so crazy because you guys just were cool with Don Fury. And it was like, there was other bands who never did that. But I was like, I just fucking called them. I didn't know that that was like a weird thing. You know what I mean? So it wasn't my fault. Like we just saw the dude's name. But I guess that ruffles people's older. But I didn't know, bro. I just knew that like I wanted to be taken seriously. I wanted to do something that sounded legit. And that dude's name was on everything.
0: So you, you gotta you gotta break this down. You have a bunch of dudes who are in bands and they think some label's gonna call you and say, "Hey, I want to record you <laughs> and I got Don Fury. and this motherfucker, his his discography, his his body of work even just between that point, touched some of the greatest hardcore records that will oh. ever be recorded. But the thing is is no one who did those recordings were like, um, you know, like, oh no, we're waiting for Don Fury. Like, you gotta call that motherfucker. Yeah. When Blacklisted went to Stoughton, Mass, with you know, Jim Siegel didn't know yeah. who the black he didn't know who he didn't know who fucking Blacklisted was. They knew who Jim Siegel was, but people weren't fucking with Jim for a while. Blacklisted right. brought him back totally because no one was going to Jim, and and that's the thing that when I when my my viewpoint Which is different than yours because obviously you're so close to the, your own band. You know, and for those with, you know, it's great that we had that kind of like the, the talk about 25 delay because it plays in the distro stuff started popping off and there was Rick to life and a bunch of people. I mean, dude, he's and literally because, the reason
1: we got signed to Triple Crown. I, I mean, we'll talk about well, that. Well, he's because he organically
0: would bring tapes down. You saw on flyers voice a reason, voice a reason.
1: And then. So, so let me tell you, you, you how know, not to I just because you're mentioning the flyer sure. thing and, the, and, and Rick tape so I just want to just really quick tell you how this happens so we record that demo and my brother at the time had set had kind of explained to me the what what what, what we'll call like the Connecticut divide which was Josta was leaving Josta 14 to do breed, and then that meant he wasn't booking shows at the tune-in right so, like, there was, like, the shows at the tune-in, and then there was the shows that Josta was doing, which the shows Josta were doing, bro, were just, I mean, you know those flyers I'm talking about early on, right? So my brother had said to me, he was like, you got to get a demo to Jamie. And Josta was outside of a show, and I didn't know him, and I just went right up to him. And I was like, hey, man, I was like, you know, uh, my band's called Voice of Reason. Or actually, I think it wasn't even called Voice of Reason, dude, yet. Like, I can't remember, but I gave him a tape, and I, uh... I said like, yo, if you need somebody to open or something, give me a call. And dude, the first show he offers us. And again, dude, like, so keep in mind, I'm, I'm a, a Spanish kid. So you, you don't do anything on holidays. Right. So Jamie calls yeah, and we had been playing the tune in a little bit, you know, stuff's like kind of not popping off and we were definitely grinding it though. And he calls and he's like, yo, I need somebody to play Easter Sunday with cold as life and like a bunch of other bands. Right. And I remember just saying yes, because I was like, yo, if we, and, and he said to me, he ended it with saying like, whoever does these shows for me, I'm going to give him a bigger show later. And this plays into the, the, the Rick to Life thing, the, the distro thing. So I say to him, I'm like, yo, we're in whatever. I tell my mom, I'm like, yo, we're going to play a show on Easter Sunday. She's fucking yelling at me, dude, punishing, but we had to do it, dude. You know, and I, again, it was at the sports palace. Like I just, I, I mean, you'll know this, Joe, like you, you can feel when something's a good Shit's gonna change, you know. And I was like, We do this show, I know it, you know. Because he had said, He's like, I'm gonna give you a, a, a another show. So we played the Easter Sunday show. Shout out to Cold Life, who was awesome. It was like my first exposure to them. Uh, there was like that might have you know, been
0: their first East Coast run at that time,
1: yeah. I mean, do I still have my long sleeve white shirt that I refused to sell from there? Like I said, I always love seeing those guys. No I, no, I would never. We played with them a bunch. It was funny that we would play with them a bunch because they were so heavy and we're so light, but so, anyways there's maybe, you know, 20, 30 people paid, whatever. Right. So we, we play and then maybe two or three days later, Joss calls and he's like, yo man, thanks for doing that show. I got a show for you. You guys are going to open. And I was like, what do you got? Hapry, despair, war zone, H2O strife. We open. Jesus
0: mother of God.
1: Rick to life there shows up in the there's- distro, buys 50 of our dis- tapes we fucking it's like that show for us was like you know when you
0: say bye did you get did he give you the cash that day
1: yeah and i was young (laughs) dude i probably would have just fucking given it to him you know yeah he Uh, but to his credit got your yeah he did you know he did got he did get him um but i remember though specifically like after that show a couple months later like getting letters from like japan and just like weird shit man And, and and again that was like a trajectory dude it was such a thing dude like when we were talking about the very catalog like like getting into Rick to life's distro was a fucking big deal. Cause you knew now, that shit was going to end up everywhere to, to widen this lens for
0: those listening. Rick would play shows in not only the Europe of Connecticut as Dude, he would just LA show game. up.
1: He wasn't even playing this he show. Would,
0: yeah. He would, he was and I said and eventually I'm gonna do a podcast. he was the traveling very traveling I wanna well I wanted to extol his virtues and then discuss his downfall at some point but he traveled consistently through the East Coast when there wasn't the internet and kind of given us the first homogenized these kind of bands all fit in because they all play with each other from as far as Albany and the Troy scene all the way out to I mean, there's shit he was seeing at like Club One Two One, all the way down to Phantasmagoria in that crazy ass place in Maryland. Like, he was everywhere. So if you had your tape on his table, you were going everywhere Rick I'm went. And, and t- that was that was as good as gold. If you're, and it goes back to what you're talking about, being a young kid and just trying to buy something because you're like, I got money. He's got this big distro. I- I'm I'll gonna try something out. And, and
1: and I'll tell you, man, again, like. That show and that demo, you know, I don't know how long of a time frame, dude. When I'm young, it feels like it was a year, but it was probably like three or four months, right? But that time frame, Joe, felt so, like, pivotal to me as a learning thing and as a band thing. And, and there are certain things that I wish I knew going into, like, Voice Reason. Like, for instance, right, I had never heard a lot of, like, hardcore stuff when we wrote those songs. So a lot of the lyrics are kind of amateur. Like it's, it's this thing where I don't listen. I can't really. You're, like, man, you're
0: 16.
1: Yeah. But like, it's one of these, you're sixteen. Like, I know, but I can't. What are you gonna,
0: like, what are you going to do to come out here with like some Chaucer? Lyrics? No, like, I know, but you are 16. I know? wish I
1: could admit. That's it. what makes
0: the band cool.
1: I think I wish I could. Well, made no, for, it. I never say for, for posterity's sake is what it you're could saying. be Yeah. Like a little more simple or more, <laughs> I hate to say generic, but all the things I like of that era. But again, I think that's what makes it special. And what made us, be able to play with so many bands. I mean, you said club One Two One. We used to go to Brockton all the time. We would play Maryland. We would play like, I think because of my relationship with Jasta and him being so giving of the band and dude, same with Rick. Like there was just so many people who were for whatever reason, dude felt, you know, like I helped them and they felt the need to repay the favor back and help. Um, you know, dude, we just ended up playing fucking everywhere. But a lot of it dude had to do with us. Just, you know, I think again, making a good demo, I never said no to any show. I think I told you this when we were talking the other day, man. It's like, I think we probably played more free shows than we ever fucking got paid, and I didn't even give a shit because I was just so happy to play or so happy, which, dude, sounds you know stupid now. It doesn't. I would still fucking play for free, you know, but it's like that shit was just so important to me, dude. It felt so cool that somebody would ask you to play out of state that you weren't like, oh, I need 40 bucks. Like, who gave a shit? You know what I'm
0: saying? Well, that, I mean... We could, I don't want to derail from your story, but I could go on. I could tell you, I could do an entire podcast on the early guarantees and handwrite letters because right. it's so silly. It's like $40 plus gas and tolls. Right. And you're like, I'm a little kid. Like, what's the tolls from Long Island? I right. like I didn't figure this shit out. Right. But uh, what I got to say in, in, in my lens to Voice of Reason was that, and, and you touched on this, at the time Voice of Reason was playing in Philadelphia, there was the whole Atari, 97A, Rancor, Raid on the Parade, all these people that were trying to revive the glory days of the rev scene. And they were very gatekeeperish by today's standards. Totally. Like, I mean, and we you got – If you didn't
1: – Yeah, no, I mean, dude, those, those – And that's right. I'm glad you said yeah, – I'm glad you said Sean like Those dudes – And I'm, I'm going to say this, again, dude, very delicately. It's something that followed into, like, the distance. Like – I was never and I don't know what the perception is, but dude, I was never like a quote unquote cool kid, right? Like I never and you know this about me, dude, like we never got along with none of those bands because to me without naming bands, I would see how some of those dudes would act behind the curtain or hear certain shit or, you know, do we put out certain records by certain people and it's like you're fucking fake and that would drive me nuts because. The one thing with me, dude, whether it's right or wrong, is I'm, I'm me. The way I'm talking to you today is the way I'm going to talk to somebody who just walks up to me, right? Where, you know, pulling back the curtain, seeing so much of that shit, bro, was just, you know, man. It really kind of fucked with me a little bit.
0: Well, so, you know, like I was, that's, that's where my shit got fucked up because they would call like 25 to life and five. They go. There was like a joke, like, oh, that's like Joe Hardcore Hardcore. Because I started booking those kind of bands because the, the less popular, the lesser knowns, like Overthrow, would come and play for everybody to life. Mushmouth would play for Philly, you know, like with me. And I'm a fucking teenager because these grown ass men that want to fucking suck some dick from 1988, <laughs> you know, they right. they don't have any respect for like, yo, this is the bands coming up. Right. And so when I heard Voice of Reason, because I loved hardcore, even though I had long hair and I loved the of Five, the E Town, all that stuff, I'm like, this band's fucking awesome. I
1: appreciate that. And man.
0: then I'm looking at, and I well, and I would see your flyer and I'd see it be like, literally be like Fury of Five, Hate Breed, Voice of Reason. I'm like, <laughs> how the fuck? Well, because it's... those bands, those bands in our area, sell the mix with the exception of New Jersey. Pennsylvania almost exclusively had like their shows, and then it was everyone else's shows, and then the big Trocadero shows, depending on who was that or like um, a Middlesex County show or the big Jersey show would be where people commence or back when everybody went to the big New York shows, you see these guys in New York and these bands. And I always felt like voice of reason. And I, and I know cause you guys were in Connecticut going up to Boston, Boston scene was, you had bands never like played
1: voice reason. Never played Well, that's Boston, what I'm saying. Yeah. You guys never well, went to Boston at a time when we there's some cool. of those bands at that point. We weren't and, man. and, and I listen, dude, I will actually, I take that back. We played Boys, We played Boston once with a fast break record release with them and Saves the Day, but that's where we would fit oh, that's in. That's fucking I mean, sick. Yeah, I mean, like, that's too like, We fuck. toured with Newfound Glory, but then, like, yeah, we would go and fucking, like, okay, dude, I'll give you an example. We did a tour that the first half was Blood for Blood and Cause for Alarm. And then the second half was Newfound Glory Saves the Day Midtown. And we fit in on both. Like, my thing, dude, was I was always felt and this is something that follows me too, to like till this day sometimes, like I felt embarrassed that we didn't fit in. And I, I, sometimes when I hear the voice and stuff, I can hear that lack of confidence where the one cool thing dude, with music being so open and so varied right now is that the, a kid's, a, a younger listener's ear is so open to everything. Whereas like back then I was trying so hard to fill so many gaps and I would see bands like H2O or something and I'd be like, that's what we got to try to fit in with or something. Not really knowing the history of all those dudes and how it worked and shit. Um, so again, dude, a lot of it was just like educating myself. And a lot of it was just like not knowing and making decisions on like not knowing shit. You know what I'm saying? And and when I when I started The Distance, it was like, I want to do everything that I did wrong or that I, that I didn't do right. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, I want to have zeus record it now i want to have mosh parts i want to be on bridge nine you know so it was just like you learn all these things um and again dude i never thought voice of reason was going to end up on triple crown or on like a victory records comp or like you know i dude i just started a band and and to your point dude of of why i think we ended up playing with so many of those bands bro was like a lot of the things is just like being respectful and being nice so like dude when Somebody like Fury of Five would come to Connecticut. I would come up and just, I would be up front. I would, I would go up to them even, you know, cause most people would be scared to talk to those dudes. And I'd go right up and be like, dude, thank you for playing Connecticut. It's so fucking awesome. And then I would say like, yo, I, I, you know, I do at the time I was doing Jamie's label. So I'd be like, yo, I do this. And it was just always about just dude going out there and letting people know like, yeah, dude, I, I want you to come to Connecticut. Like I'm here for you. Like we're spreading word. And, and again, dude, I think to your point, dude, a lot of the bands, You know, like, shout out to, like, the Mushmouths and stuff. Those were the bands that brought us to play in their places, dude. You know what I mean, dude? And and vice versa. Yeah, you guys were We would bring them to Connecticut. You know what I mean?
0: You guys were accepted in such a different world than what the band sounded like. And I could see how people listening would be like, hey, what's up with this? But (laughs) at that time in hardcore, there was a lot of, and I mean, you brought up Dismay. That In Doubt record might be one of the craziest. But that's the way, and to me, I always looked at Connecticut as... And now, like, looking even further back, if you look at the, the history of Connecticut hardcore, like, it went from a very youth crew, very straight edge, very punk, and then the metal really took over. Oh, so heavy, the, yeah. Connecticut
1: the, is all breakdown now. Unless, unless you're like, de- Death Threat's the only band, I think, that, that can get away with, like, a faster traditional hardcore sound.
0: Well, e- even then, there was, like, I mean, there was always a, a, a balanced kind of crazy mix. And the shows were, I won't say excessively violent for the 90s, But you didn't like we knew walking into Connecticut because Connecticut people had come down to PA. and We'd seen them in New Jersey. We're like, all right, Connecticut dudes actually dance fucking hard as fuck. So you kind of had. Oh, dude, I was terrified. No,
1: no, I was terrified. We would go to the the back like I would never, you know, I was so scared, bro. Not like now where you see somebody (laughs) goes in and I just see kids now just start wailing around. and, And again, man, I see, you know, stuff that pops and I'm just like. I would have never fucking done. I would have seen a a, a a a Pete Morrissey stand in there, and I would have ran the other way, you know, because these guys were just so terrifying.
0: Well, so what I wanted to get into before, because it'd be impossible to... Yeah,
1: I'm sorry. mean like, <laughs> this from you. No,
0: no, no, no. I look at Connecticut hardcore in, like, in in the in the 90s as, like, the end of this scene that was from the anthrax and people that try to revive it and the, the straight-ed stuff into... You know what you brought up like the death threats the death threats came later after hate Breed was already starting to have a higher role right obviously demons had been around kicking around pete's been in bands like the higher force bands he's been in bands forever right and obviously there's all these different scattered bands um actually you know like the ground zero dudes we yeah, shout out, ground came zero. And,
1: and listen daryl from ground zero was so instrumental in the connecticut thing like they they're not spoken about but dude he used to do a fanzine that was so important he did a label that did a comp that that had everything on it he
0: brought up he brought up dysphoria um, yep. once or twice to Hanover House so you know and we actually they ended up playing the the same walking metal fest that
1: dysphoria played in 1999 That's awesome. And them guys
0: were always really cool with us.
1: Shout out Dysphoria what, was the night like I said man that was like the when I first met you dude those were like the coolest dudes and I remember those were kind of like my first out of state phone friends like, we would call each other and be like, I'm going to bring you to Connecticut. You know, like shit like that. And we and would you know, talk about Those college.
0: guys had the same thing you guys had. All they had was a Chris Beer, who I had on... For the people who don't know, listen to episode uh, three with Chris Beer because it's probably one of the best. He's the reason why I'm even having this podcast okay. now. He literally did the same thing you would do. He reached out to people in different areas to get his band because they were in a, a town outside of Philadelphia. They were very metal. And it was his... Tenacity, his, same kind of thing Like, he never gave a fuck Like, just how you said about Down Fury He's the one who called up when he heard Heybreed record it and said, yeah, I want to record In New Jersey at that place Yeah, And I was like, you guys are recording there? Like, so So it's awesome to see that you guys synced up But I have to wonder How hardcore felt You know, in the rise of Heybreed, the beginning of The Demons, the beginning of Death Threat and then once Haybreed is here and then what happens to Connecticut after If we can give yeah, you like I a lot so of
1: like, so for those that don't know, I had what's, what's more than a front row seat, a, back, a backstage pass, I guess. Right. Or tour man. You had the behind, yeah. you
0: had the behind the scenes administrative view.
1: Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I'm right there. Um, let's talk about this in two, two different parts. Right. Cause I think you have to really mm-hmm. understand at the time, how big Breed was, but how big they weren't, right? So in our scene, Breed was big, but they weren't the monster they are now. It was what felt like a very long time in between records, right? So satisfaction into, into perseverance, right? I think this is the area you're talking about, right? This trajectory, right? So yeah. uh, Josta, so I used to do a label with with Josta called I don't want to say the name because to me in 2023, the name is just not a, a, a word I would really use, like to use. So we had, we had a label called SB records for, for lack of a better word. Right. And, yep. um, we had, we'd gotten an office. I remember, so dude, I remember sitting with Josta and just, uh, you know, I, I really had loved the process of just the labels and all this shit. And I remember saying to him, like, listen, man, I'm, I'm going to quit whatever I was doing at the time. I'm like, and let's get an office. And, let's really hammer down on this. We're going to get a distribution deal. Like there was all these things that I thought I had seen like, you know, trust kill doing and all these things. And I said, I was like, dude, we could do this because Jasta had the ear, but he didn't have like the admin part. And I, and to, I don't think he really cared about that part. So that, that, it, which to his credit, I, I think if he did it, he wouldn't give him the, the, the bandwidth to, to really do what he needed to do and grow his band and, and, and the brand. Right. So, I said, yo, I'll fucking run this shit. You keep signing the shit. I'm going to keep signing some shit. Let's do this, right? So as this is happening, they start working on this record for Universal. And I remember Josta saying to me, like, yo, we're going to fucking sign a Universal. And um, Universal at the time gave like a a little slush fund to the label to go after. Um, Probably the easiest way to explain it was say like, if there was a zine and dude, even if Joe, if it was like a kid who made 10 copies at Kinko's, we were taking an ad out for perseverance in it. Right. So that was like, that was like the thing. It was like, like anybody's didn't even fucking matter. It was like, I'll take a banner on your fucking shitty block. Like it was just everywhere. Right. So that opened up because this, again, it's a pre streaming era. It's a time where you could ship 10,000 CDs of something that no one had ever heard of. And, I, and I'm going to, paint this for you where I was going with what I just said before about the distribution thing. Right. So let's just like skip around. Perseverance comes out. It's obviously a monster. It's doing its thing. Everyone's like, what else you got? Hey, we have a deal at, at Caroline. We have all of these records. We have full blown chaos. We've sworn enemy with honor. We have blacklisted. And dude, you're talking a time where, I manufactured and shipped 10,000 wrong side CDs. Shout out Morgado. We sold a hundred of them. Yeah. We we sold a hundred of them. I've got 9,800 9, of them. <laughs> you know, and Morgado knows that. I love them. But that was what I'm talking about is that like, where the fuck could you send 10,000 CDs today? You couldn't. But back then you had Best Buy. You had all these programs. So when Haybreed takes off, you know, The label takes off and everything around us just kind of grows, man. And then you're talking, you know, Sworn Enemy ends up on Electra, you know, major label. Uh, You're talking, we're shipping, you know, like I said, 10,000 of every release. We've got, we've got bands that have never played or toured with fucking Jumbotrons on Ozfest. I mean, the most ridiculous shit. It was happening, but it was, it was amazing because. Um, you know, I, I equated a lot to the way people say, you know, and I love turnstile. They're one of my favorite bands. How everyone's like, Oh, turnstile this Turnstile, that. And I guess for me, I'm, it doesn't affect me really in any way, like good or bad. Cause it's like, we live the hate breed thing. So I've already seen this. They were nominated for a Grammy. We, you know, they done all of it. Um, and at the end of the day, they're still hate breed, right? It's like, yeah. it, you know, like, yeah, it's, 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 it comes and goes, you know? And like, I think what they have done super well is that they've maintained it and i you know i speak to bd and, and wayne and those guys all the time shout out the wayne, yeah, wayne as a headliner wayne
0: promoted this is hardcore like he was worried no one was gonna come he to see t- his band i saw and him the next that was the coolest fucking shit that he wrote out so hard for yo he this is i saw
1: i saw him the next day at, at my shout out dr hoof the, the first uh the drummer on under the knife uh to my boy uh, or actually on the demo sorry uh I saw him at I saw Wayne at, at at hoof's house the next day and he said, quote that was the best fucking show we've played. He fucking loved That's it. he I said want. the crowd was amazing he said it was like like I said you we you know I see him all the time so we're always talking shit and he had a fucking blast like he was like it was fucking so much fun um but yeah man to to get back to what you were saying, dude, it really did i think at that time, especially to uh you mentioned this on your podcast was internet's popping but it's not like now there's no streaming youtube's not really a thing so like you know we would watch headbangers ball and josta was the host of headbangers ball so uh i mean dude i got to go with so he brought his people i mean bro i literally i got to go to the vmas because of him the year the fucking distance quote unquote sellout record came out this dude fucking got me a ticket so that i could walk that car you know what i'm saying so like this dude was there. He was getting fucking videos yeah. played. He's fucking wearing distance shirts on Headbangers Boys, wearing full blown chaos shirts. He's wearing Shadows Fall shirts. You know, I mean, it was just, I mean, bro, sometimes, Joe, it feels like a different world because it was so, it was like a long time ago, but not really. And things are just so different, you know?
0: Now, looking at that, you got to, this is good that we went to that point. This is Heypre. This is a guy who is in another band. He, Jamie, I always say this is Jamie worked harder than most people in the modern time who don't have the concept of what it was like. Understand he not only was kidding up people like Dwid, like, Hey, Bree needs to do a split with you guys. He was putting out his people's records. I have letters from him from when push button warfare came out. Like, Hey Joe, I know you do shows. Check this out. Yo, if you can set up a tour he he linked up with despair. He did his own me and Yvonne
1: used uh, me and Yvonne put together all of the hate breed integrity splits in his fucking dad's living room. So when and I tell you this dude was that- this dude would go, I mean, dude, we would go and fucking I remember we would go on like say like it was like a Monday afternoon or a Tuesday afternoon. I'd call him up, yo, what are you doing? Nothing. Let's go fucking drop off records. And I'd go to his house, I'd pick him up in fucking Wallingford. And we would drive, bro, to every store in Connecticut with the distro. Yo, new fucking sworn Enemy, new Voice Reason Overthrow, new Punishment, new fucking... Because he would trade with John from Vary. So, dude, he would get a yeah. fucking box of shit. And it was, like, the best. Because he would always say to me and Yvonne, like, yo, you guys could get first dibs, but you got to bring a, bring a box of distro to a show and then give me the money. So we would get psyched because we'd get, like, a brand new, two, two or three brand new CDs. But this dude make, like, three couple hundred bucks. But we were just so excited to get, like whatever was brand new that maybe he only got two CDs of. And we're like, Oh fuck new earth crisis or new, whatever, you know? Um, but it was dude, like nah. you said, it was just this, this dude was on another, I don't think people understand. Cause there was no TikTok, There was no fucking nothing. This dude was on, this dude was like a fucking TikTok. You know what I mean? He was just always, uh, you know, and I credit him so much to like, uh, how much I know how to navigate through shit because this dude was always on shit and just always being like, you know, like I'd always I sometimes would have like a woe is me attitude about shit and he'd be like, dude, you gotta get over that shit. So like there was a lot of shit about that that, you know, like I said, man, he was really just doing shit on a whole nother level, man. That I don't think anyone, unless you were our age and around him, I don't think you could understand it. I don't I don't think I could do justice to explain it.
0: So hate you know, and it's good that you said that this they go from splits. Obviously, the demo it, and the first time I heard the hate demo was in a car. After a show twenty-five to life because we bought it, then I seen Hatebreed play with twenty-five to life in sixty-third and race in West uh, Southwest Philadelphia. Then I go ahead and the Under the Knife comes out. Actually, no, I heard I heard a, I heard a track on a split seven. Inch. It's a four-way split.
1: The one with, uh, with on, on Pinpoint Records,
0: yeah, Pin Drop Records. Yep. And I, my, words. my words fucking, that's the best version of it. it and my fucking my mind was like yep at that point when he says that build up before the for breakdown the rest
1: you all fucking life.
0: Okay, yeah oh so good and, and that was it for me i was like this this yeah. band and to me because of the window of time you wouldn't think it took that it felt long probably for all the process and all the work that was it boom next thing you know is we're seeing Heybreed every fucking weekend. Yeah, Want some I mean, crazy dude, I shit, used to and then went with
1: them to up to like to Musick, Pennsylvania to like Cece's. Cece's baby, yeah, that's the all fun. the time, man. I f- I fell in love with the girl up up at Cece's, man. Like you know, uh, it's hard not it's, to. The yeah, nineties yeah. PA PA yeah. girls
0: were all done. Yeah. Oh, they were man. all
1: done. Um, but what I wanted to all say, older than me, so I never. <laughs> what I wanted to say, Joe, about about um about hey Breed really quick, and just a little bit of 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 again of of to to kind of paint a picture for the listeners of pre-internet shit right uh hey breed had just finished uh recording satisfaction at at Trax east right and i'm i'm going to see i was like earth crisis in vod in uh in long island right and i tell jost i'm like yo i'm going to the show and he's like oh you got to get he's like you got to drive up remember he lives in wallingford i live in, in in orange and so i have to go probably like 30 minutes south or 30 minutes north to drive all the way to fucking Long Island, but back then, whatever. So I go and he wanted me to give Carl, who I had never fucking met in my life, a copy of Satisfaction on cassette. So, dude, we fucking get to Long Island, we miss VOD, who I was really upset about, because that's why I go. We watch Earth Crisis, they were amazing. And then I'm like just like a, you know, fucking a weird kid, like hanging out, lurking, waiting to see Carl somewhere. And then I just go up to him, I'm like, Are you Carl? Which I know that he is, obviously. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, uh, Jamie told me to give you this. And I just fucking hand him a tape of satisfaction. He's just like looking at me, super fucking confused. I don't really know what to say. I'm just like, okay, see you later. And that was like it. But dude, there was, (laughs) it would have imagine back then he would have had to fucking mail it. Who would have known if Carl would have gotten it? Like I got it to him. You know what I mean? So it was just, that was like how shit was back then. And I mean, again, like I did, you know, I ran Joss's label till right around probably like 08. In that area, um, you know, which is pretty much like right when it started winding down. But dude, we put out some monsters. We put out blacklisted, full blown, chaos, uh, sworn enemy, pushbone warfare, uh with honor, risk taken, some really great stuff. Right brigade. When you look at when you look at
0: what the rest of Connecticut Hardcore did, because of the rise of hate the people who were so micro-focused on like hate they missed out on some wild shit, and I think it's actually the modern era of Connecticut hardcore that really is going back. You know, There's kids who fuck with dismay in doubt hard. Oh, totally. Uh, it was one of the main that things. Kevin, that Kevin, that Kevin Nyland kid and Lumpy, uh, yeah. them guys really do a great job of going back. But I, I gotta say that, you know, like um, I did a show in '98. It was the first time Death Threat left um connecticut and played in pennsylvania and it was at with 20 by life and all out war and it was must have been hard to be from connecticut and at that time when you know hate breed is like literally the thing everybody's talking about so the same way blood for blood was the same thing everything in boston and people not have oh well they're from connecticut so and then here's the comparison of hate breed again i think
1: in connecticut and it, and and it's still like this, dude. And again, I'm not trying to be rude or nothing, but it it, it always goes back. I think in every th- scene, dude, it's like it's like who you know or who's kind of signing off on you. So it's like a lot of times, man. A lot of the bands were just you know friends with the right people, or they were they knew how to navigate, dude. So I think a lot of times, man, that's what gave um, the perception too. A lot of times that Connecticut was a lot more united than it was. You know, if that makes sense. I'm trying to just not say anything that's gonna offend anybody. Um, no, no, no. You, you know. know what I'm saying is like, you know, like, uh, yeah. I'm. I'm I, well, to I, I
0: actually agree to that. I think that there are there was a moment in Connecticut hardcore where like there was a more like like a like analogous a group of like this is Connecticut hardcore because we were traveling more, and if a Connecticut band would play somewhere just outside, like if they played out in Boston, you might see a bunch of those Connecticut guys like. There was a moment where there
1: was a traveling squad. Totally. And and which, to go on to something with like with, uh, you know, like 100 Demons, like you were saying, like I think when that's 100 Demons to me is a perfect example of that. When Haybreed got bigger, that light, the light was shown in a great way to 100 Demons, right? So Josta got their video on Headbangers Ball. The record and the single were just the sickest, like... Sickest video. Yeah. and And that song... It just really resonates with the with the the ear very well too. So like if you're like yeah. you're not somebody who knows anything about where we come from, you that song is so accessible. Um, and I always thought that was one of the cool things that he did when he got on Headbangers Ball. Man. and and when you look back at some of those episodes, and and, and you'll know that because you know all the bands. You're like, oh, I know that dude. I know that dude. I know. And and watching him hook that up, and in turn, you know, shining that light when he rose onto whether it's a hundred demons or a death threat or, uh, you know, or the distance or, um, dead wrong or whomever he was always, and still is very good about that. You know? And I think that one of the things that, uh, I always learned from him was that like, you don't forget the dudes that hook you up or where you come from, you know, like, like look at us, dude, you and I've been friends for 20 years, dude. Like, and it's like, why is that? It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, I have so much respect for you. I love you. You know what I mean? We've always been cool with each other and i think things like that are just missing so many times right so many people start relationships to just get something out of somebody versus just like yo i just want to i just like this dude he makes me laugh or this or this person you know um and one of the cool things was that like when that ship rose dude he was able to shine the light on those bands and give back which was super fucking cool cuz you know that was something he learned early on and i picked up from him and it was cool that when he got big he still stuck with that you know it's kind of a long well, answer there, I'm sorry.
0: That's a big part of that's a big part of hardcore is there really is two types of people. There's a person that's like we could pick things, like I said to you when we had our conversation post the podcast last week. You know, I could pick right up with you like I just saw you last totally. week, regardless of how many years it's been between. And the thing about it is is because you know that my phone's always open. If you've got some idea like, hey, check out this band,
1: hey, do this. And likewise.
0: We're all we're also at the age now where Someone shouldn't be offended if you didn't wish me happy birthday or Instagram or <laughs> right? he hasn't texted me a while. This modern era, there's this constant need to stay in each other's social, like, in the social window where it's like, dude, I, um, Chris from Overthrow sent me a video of him playing with Strife, and I was so psyched. Like, fuck, yeah. him, see an Overthrow again. Like, it's cool to still have that connection, but when you are coming up, the best thing you do is lend a hand to your friend. Get him up there, too. Oh, you know, really? like, raise... Richie Crutch always says, uh, and he's always said it is, uh, um, oh, fuck, I, I can't even fuck the fucking quote up. That's how retarded my day was today. Uh, high tide raises all ships. It's true. Like bring your people with you. Bring your people with you because if you're not, and also if you're not bringing your people with you, who are you fucking surrounding yourself with? When
1: I think now, that, that was always n- what was cool about the older dudes too, man, is like like when Voice Reason started or when The Distance First started. A lot of those dudes, you know, like the Pete's of the world, the Aaron's, you know, uh, all those guys were supportive instead of being like, you know, standoffish or being like, oh, fuck these young bands or these younger kids. You know, we went into it respectfully. You know what I mean, dude? Like I never went in there being like, "Let will go try to fucking mosh or do this or do that. Like, I just wanted to watch and observe. And then, you know, eventually got to the point where you feel comfortable talking to these people. And I think a lot of that's kind of missing sometimes. Um, but again, it was just such a different world. Cause like you said, man, sometimes you follow somebody online and it's like, it makes you feel like, you know, them, dude. I mean, like, I don't want to come off like a dick, but dude, there's some people who come up to me and they'll, they'll say something. And I'm like, dude, I do not fucking know you. Like, why are you joking with me the way that like somebody else would joke? There's, a, com- there's a there's a, there's an intimate
0: comfort because you constantly scroll in this, and know, live on this internet world. Right now, the, the cool thing that comes into your world is that because you didn't go to college. Did you even graduate high school?
1: <laughs> Next, yeah. uh, I plead the fifth on that one, buddy. I got it. <laughs> All right. Let's. Fuck uh, uh, well, yeah, let's GD not, style. I love it. Let's not. So, well, listen, I plead the fifth no, on that no, because, one I plead the fifth on the, on the GD.
0: So, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> well, this is what's so cool is. And this is like the, the J Reason stuff that comes into play here. You got an education. In how to navigate a world beyond just being a hardcore dude. Well, and this and has, in this,
1: yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead.
0: This is where you, this is where you take the learning, the backdoor administrative end of the Stillborn, and this is where you're at now. And and I really don't know, aside <laughs> from you know the Danny Diablo podcast and the stuff that you've been doing with the Static Era, like how many people really know what Jay Reason got involved with post. The beginning yeah, and the and end of the it, stillborn. It's board, a pretty
1: right? crazy jo- journey. So after, I would say I turned 30 years old. It's like, so like 14 years ago, we, we toured pretty hard. You, you did a bunch of shows for us and I was always so grateful. You always ho- hooked up the distance, man. I love you for that. Especially too, when a lot of um, my friends kind of turn their back on us when we try to do a little bit of a different record, but we'll, we'll save that for a part two. But you always looked out for us, dude. And I love you for that. Um, But you know, obviously dude, I had a, something in mind that I wanted to do. And when it didn't hit that for whatever reason, I was kind of like, all right, man, I'm I don't want to be one of these bands who then goes back and is kind of like, let's make a hardcore record and pretend it didn't happen. Because I would make the same record twice. I'd make that record again today, right? So after the distance I do a, a, a band with uh, the guy it's pretty much Hatebreed minus Joss that's me singing called Black and we did a record on Think Fast, recorded with Zeus, play a couple shows. And I think for a second, I really did want to tour again, because we were just, you know, distance was all I ever did, man. All I did was tour, and that was it. Um, Beatty was getting record. I can't remember what Hatebreed album cycle it was on. It's whatever the first one Wayne joins on. But basically, Beatty and Wayne are end up joining, you know, link up with Hatebreed on this really long tour cycle. Sorry for the noise in the back. This no, long, no, no. This, this long it's tour cycle. Very connected. uh Yeah this long tour cycle. And then like, we kind of just can't play shows and BD's like, yo, you, you should like get fill in members. And I was like, well, dude, I'm like, I only want to do it if I could do it with you, you know? So long story short, dude, I, I kind of just say like, All right, I'm going to go try to find a fucking job. Um, and kind of like I touched on earlier, dude, I didn't do great in school. Uh, I plead the fifth on GED and, uh, any, any kind of graduation kind of stuff. Um, you know, I just kind of, I had always fucked with internet shit, so like early on, I I learned a lot of like you know how to build like web pages and just like fuck I'm gonna tell this story. So like I used to make fake IDs, almost got caught, didn't. Hopefully it's been, <laughs> it's been a long time, it's passed. Uh, shout out to Trash America who had the uh, article in the newspaper of the when they were looking for the guy called Jay of Reason making fake IDs in in <laughs> Danbury College. But so like like again, dude, like you know what we, we was just always like scheming and and doing um all kinds of shit. So I had a very limited skill set, dude, you know, going into this. So, uh, shout out to my friend Brett. He's like, yo, I can get you a job, which was like, he worked at this place that did, uh, you know, for the lack of a better description, like the back end systems of like websites for radio stations. So I was like, all right, this is kind of like music adjacent. i can kind of do this, whatever. It's pretty easy money. So I did that for a couple months and it was just miserable, dude. I didn't know how to like work in a place like I didn't know how to adapt. It was really difficult for me. It's still it's still something, dude, that like the last real job I had, which was like eight years ago at this point, like a real job where I worked and had alarm clock, all that shit. I literally walked out of it in the middle of it because the dude was giving me my fucking review, quote unquote. And I just looked at this fucking dude and I'm like, dude, I just fucking dealt with a fucking $1.5 million company. And you're telling me some bullshit about an email list. I just got up and fucking left. So, like, I don't do well in those situations. But he, he was like, you know, come in here and, and, and get a job or whatever. So a couple months, I'm just grinding away. It sucks. And I start looking at uh, Sony.com and I see a job opening for something. I don't even remember what the fuck the position was. But all the, all the shit in it was like shit I did. So I was like, okay, I could do this. I could do that. And dude, just on a whim, I fucking sent it in and I got the interview, right? And it, it, it turned out. So the guy who hired me, shout out Dave Bell. He's a, he actually, he runs Epic now. Um, he was from Connecticut. So we interview and and we just, you know, do like, he's like a music guy. So we don't even talk about shit. We're just talking about music. And he's like, uh, Yo, can you build like a fucking web page in 24 hours or something? Just something stupid, right? And I was like, yeah, fuck it, What? Doesn't see what your abilities are. see what my abilities are. So dude, I fucking did it and it looked dope. So I get the job there and I end up working at Jive, which at the time was like Britney Spears, NSync, shout out to my boy Chris. Um pink, like all these crazy, I mean, dude, bro, like crazy things, Joe. So like I was on cloud 9, man. Had my own office on in their their big uh building on 55th. Uh, You know, right on the jive floor. So I was there for a bunch of, for like almost a year before they closed out. Um, That was the one thing that sucks working at major labels. Like, is that like, you just never know how how secure you're going to be. Like you might have an office one day and then the next day you got shit. But so like, yeah, man, ended up there. Uh, Then like when I got laid off from there, kicked around somewhere else and then ended up back at Sony a second time. And then from there, dude just, you know, ended up being, uh, they call it a producer. like when you say producer people think music it's more like project management stuff so like i was yeah my clients were like all the sony music brands so like you know dude i worked on like billy joel shit michael jackson um elvis which i'm a huge fan of so bro like just these these fucking records that like i grew up with and then you're you're working with like the michael jackson estates to move over like their fucking site it just was crazy you know um and again so just a dude from a hardcore kid you know who used to build like our shitty record website and lay out our crappy fucking CD layouts, you know, that whole skill set, I was able to just kind of land doing that. So it was pretty wild. Was there a lot
0: of prerequisites Were a lot of prerequisites that you didn't think that you had that came into play that just came from the stillborn and the hardcore? Yeah, I
1: do totally. I mean, I, I still till this day, Joe will tell you that I don't know what I'm fucking doing, you know? And I think it's just because, everything needs everything is so unique that I never feel like I have the answer for whatever somebody's asking me until I get dive in you know so going into that I was a little nervous but at the same time too I was like well dude I don't want to fucking die in Connecticut because I, I knew that there was this whole other world bro we used to go to Europe we fucking toured I had friends all over the world and like for me a driving thing was like I didn't want to be a dude who, who was in a band and then just got home and then just fucking became a dude in Connecticut or just didn't go to shows. no, more. Like, nothing. I just, I needed another chapter, dude. And that chapter was like just getting on a train and going to work in New York for a bunch of years. And and unfortunately, dude, you know, I missed out a lot on like my home scene stuff. You know, I missed a lot of shows uh, and stuff, but I was like working on just fucking huge shit, dude, and just trying to take my, my, like, just career to the next level so that like, you know, now in 2023, when I have like the store and the label, it's like, dude, I have such a skill set under me underneath me and clients that like, you know, dude, I can reach out to and shit that if I need something for the label, dude, you know, I could reach out to somebody who worked at Epic on huge campaigns and all shit. Whereas like I will why don't you a-
0: break down the beginning of like the like the actually organic pre- beginning of static era and like where you're taking it. So when you're when you're saying this stuff, people have a better context.
1: Yeah, so for, for people that don't know, dude, I really missed uh like so I had started doing a reissue vinyl label called War God. Uh, I do that with Ryan from Outbreak. Shout out Outbreak if anybody remembers them. Dude, he's the man. Oh, Ryan's the I man. I have seen him in forever. Uh, yeah, so
0: he... he would always send me the coolest Think Fast <laughs> uh, like records, like multiple <laughs> records. So he he really when cool I
1: told now. him I was doing your podcast, he, he he was excited. So I told him I was, I was going to bring up He's another up guy I'd
0: love to have on oh, the you show. Should. He runs – he he Another runs- dude, he hustled, he hustled just like anyone else. I think he got to get – I think he kind of got lost in the sand of time. I mean, I think a lot of bands of I our era he busted his ass,
1: man. A, a lot of bands of our era, unfortunately, did, man. The the distance is one of them, you know. But um, so Ryan and I had started this uh, reissue label, right? The first thing we put out was a In This Moment reissue. We 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 just actually just this record store day last week put out Verve Pipe. So we do a lot of like cool stuff. A lot of it comes from Sony from my relationship at Sony, which was awesome. Um, shout out to Bill who set that up for us. Um, and dude, out of that process, Joe, you know that I have always loved working with bands and people to me, it's never been about selling the record. It's always about the manufacturing and the process and the enjoyment we have in it coming together, you know, and I love that. So I missed it so much that I, I had really felt empowered by seeing so many great labels like, you know, triple B and flat spot. And there's, there's just like some cool labels going on. Um, and I, I really missed it. So I went, uh, I had a, an idea and I went to, it was E1 at the time. They're called Monarch now. I went to my boy at, at, at uh, E1 and said, like, look, man, I really got this idea to start a, a you know, a new label. I kind of want to do, like, rock, guitar oriented stuff because, there, again, there's there so many great hardcore labels, you know, and I didn't want to get into that. So I want to start stuff where it's like, like, oh, the hardcore dudes does a rock band? I'll put out that record. So, like, we did, like, Sights and Sounds, which is Andrew from Comeback Kids Band, shit like that. But yes, yeah, so I went to Monarch, uh, Ewan, whatever. Told them my idea, and they were they were on board. So we we went after like the cornerstone reissues and Met dismay, and there's there's a lot of stuff that's not on Static Air that is distributed by me. That I spent a lot of money to get back online, cleared some stuff with people, paid to rematch, You know, just spent whatever it took to get some of these records back online, and um, you know, pay for some of our bands. Like we did a new Cruel Hand record two years ago. Um, we have a new band called Cinema Stare that just went, went up. Uh, we did Tim from VOD's band called Roland Coffin that just came out. So a lot of shit like that, Joe.
0: Okay.
1: Um, but in all that, dude, I, I, uh, record number two was a band is, is a band called Husbandry from Brooklyn. Who's, who's amazing. Uh, if your listeners, uh, it's for fans of, I would say it's Aliyah meets Fugazi, female fronted, super sick guitar riff, like Mars Volta shit. It's amazing. She has amazing vocal range. So the day that I get the fucking vinyl for that bro, and they're supposed to play their record release is the day that all the shows get canceled for the fucking pandemic. And now again, dude, keep in mind, I just, I had just gotten an advance from a company to start a label. I've just manufactured fucking ton of vinyl for Sights and sounds, tons of vinyl for husbandry. And I'm kind of fucking assed here, man. I'm, I'm a little freaked, you know, cause I'm like, how the fuck am I going to move this shit back? How am I going to get any of this stuff resolved? And then, uh, like, right down the street from where I live, I saw a store for rent. And I was like, "I'm oh, fuck, man, I'm going to call this dude and see what he wants for. Because it's a pretty poppin' area. But, again, dude, it's pandemic, so there's just businesses are going. Everything's closing. I mean, I remember telling my friends in the group chat, like, yo, I'm going to fucking open a record store. And these dudes, like, literally wanted to have an intervention because they thought I was fucking, like, on drugs. You know? Um, but, yeah, man, we fucking, I opened it up in the middle of the pandemic because I had to pivot the business. Um, and luckily, dude, you know, two and a half, almost three years later, dude, we're fucking kicking ass. So, yeah, we're like, a—I always say we're a record label with a storefront because we're never to me. The label is always going to be first. That's my dream. It's my passion. It's what, uh, you know, I have a vision for the label to be something. And I was talking to you about that offline. I don't want to put it all out on here, but I have a vision for that. And the store definitely helps that. Um, but I'm, I'm really thankful of everybody who's come through to both. Um, definitely send me your demos because I'm always looking to sign shit.
0: It's got to be exciting and I, I feel like it's a hard thing to do what you just all just laid out very quickly <laughs> because the thing about it that I see as a tying point throughout this entire story of yours is you're the kid that called Don Fury and didn't give a fuck. You're the kid who rolled up into Sony and was like, yo, I can do this. Give me a shot. I think the bold steps without the foundation of like, here's my certificate at Yale, here's where (laughs) I went and did this. I think that in an industry specifically geared towards people that are willing to take risks, the music industry for you is something that, I mean, you are succeeding at. It has to be bizarre if you zoom all the way back out and think about the fact that because you played in this punk band and you did these tapes, and you play with these bands that no one in your area and Sony <laughs> know who the fuck they are. That was actually a better and then in, in the years to come that working with Jamie, even just setting up tapes, you learned more in the music industry at the base underground true underground level. Oh, totally. And than do that- somebody who could come out of a college degree now could ever even walk into Sony's door and have the same prerequisites and experience that you have
1: well and listen i think so much of that dude is the hardcore kid in us right it's like think about hardcore it's like you just go up there and you fucking hope for the at least in the beginning right dude like you kind of like you go up there you're jumping around you look like a fucking idiot and it's like dude if you could do that why can't you ask for a shot and i think for me dude again my growing up my parents being immigrants dude, my mom would always just say like oh you could do it just go We write a letter to fucking whoever or do that like it it's so funny. Cause I still say to her every day, I'm like, she'll bring something up and I'm like, mom, that's not how it works. But to her hmm. credit, maybe it fucking is. I have no idea because I do crazy shit. And I think a lot of that time too dude is like, you got to remember something, Joe, I didn't have, my parents couldn't give me 150 bucks to go do the demo. Right. I had to go do it. So like there was all these things where like, if you wanted something, you just had to find a way to fucking do it. I didn't have no, no other way. So for me, even still to this day dude. like my, my driving force every day, dude, is like, I don't want to fucking wake up with an alarm clock. So I'm like, what do I have to do to not do that? Okay. It's start, it's continuing this path. It's fucking pivoting the label to do this. It's, you know, working with uh, the clients I work with now. Like I pretty much now dude, for people who want to know, it's pretty much the same thing I did at Sony, but I, I contract for myself. Right. So you know I done a ton of stuff for Brian McKnight, it just finished stuff for Shaka Khan, UB40, like a lot of legacy artists who used to be in the major label system. And then kind of I always say from the studio to the shelf. So everything in between manufacturing, monetizing shit, publishing shit, all that shit, dude. Which again, dude, like I learned all that stuff, dude, because people took advantage of kids like us because they didn't teach us something. If we wanted something it'd be like, all right, dude, I'll I'll give it to you, but I want 50% of this, or I want 70% of this, or you got to give me this or that, you know? And my whole thing, dude, even still is like, I want to be able to do for my friends or whoever and not say, oh, you got to give me this. There's so much shit, Joe, that kid, you know, my friends will be like, dude, I need to get this up. Can you upload it? Yes. I don't need anything. They're like, oh, I'll pay you. I'll do I'm like, dude, I don't fucking, what are you going to give me? Let me just, I just do it for you. You know what I mean? Like of years of people taking shit from us. That's what drove me to fucking learn. How does a band get on this? How does this work? How does that work? Dude, it's just like, you know, anything to not fucking work a real job. Because like I said, dude, the last fucking real job I did, I had a fucking dude telling me to do something that was so fucking wrong that I was like, dude, you're wrong. Like it's wrong. And I had to quit. You know what I mean? So it's like, I just do shit that I got to like, uh, you know, dude, whatever I can do to just not fucking go back to that stuff.
0: Well, also maybe inertia of working on your own. Yeah. You are your own boss, but you are also in the hands of your own destruction. If you're not out there getting it, you know that the floor under you is not as stable as you would. Like oh, to- to be. <laughs> totally. And the guys who I had on this show that have like, you know, whether it's Jamie Biss, who is a, a restaurant
1: dude. From yeah, the shout Boston out Jamie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And Joe, because I actually cool. I got a fast break and cornerstone shit sent to me because of that podcast. And that's the, that was the coolest thing possibly still ever sent to me from a podcast. That's awesome. But like everything you said relates back to these different people that had moments where they were like, this is the only way I'm going to make it. Like, you know, like, and I think that that's where success really does come from. Like, not the oh well I wanna make sure that I'm better than my peers in this corporate atmosphere. Like I need to make this work oh, because yeah. I mean I don't look, have so, to dude, fall I could
1: I could have gone and had a career in the city as like a project manager for some bullshit stuff, but I was like, I don't I dude, I did a little bit of it and I fucking hated it. You know what I mean? I got I gotta kind of at least be into what I'm doing. So I'd rather make less and kind of have to grind a little bit more than put up with all the BS. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's, and again, I think that's like the kind of the hardcore kid in me Whereas, like, you know, dude, too, and you got to understand something, Joe is like, for me, there was a, a being surrounded by people like Josta and all these, uh, you know, those were my peers. And I'm like, I don't want to be the dude who's, I don't want to be the shot dude. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think so much of the drive in me comes from being surrounded about like, dude, even people like you who do these great big things. And I'm like, man, I want to be in those conversations or I want to have those things that I could talk about with a person at your level. And I think a lot of that's what drives me, dude, is to, to do this kind of shit is that I can't that I can hold a conversation with somebody like you who books this stuff or or hold one with the, you know a job like the, just all my peers. Dude, that was always a big thing to me, too.
0: Is there something that you can look back on with hindsight and not your own music that you think that you could do better today than you did back when you uh, worked on it?
1: Not involving music. No, involving, music, oh, involving but like music, not
0: something that you performed on, like like a project, a band, something sp- that you're like, fuck, I wish I would have done this instead of that.
1: I got to be honest, man. I'm, I'm going to say no, because I'm, I'm just not a person who's ever thought like that. I always think everything I, I do... I love
0: that. I lo- that's awesome. Yeah,
1: I feel like everything I do is what got me to here, and I'm in a good Thank spot God. now. So whether I was maybe not in a good spot when whatever was happening... You know, like I don't know, man. I'm I'm not a, like I said, bro. I I'm not a dude who thinks about changing things because I know it's impossible, right? So like, I would, you know, dude. I would record the the fucking sellout record again the exact same way, dude. I'd make it more rock. So I'm a dude who push shit more. I mean, I like that. I'm I'm a disruptor, dude. I love love just pushing shit. You know what's what's the worst that's gonna happen? Let me. Let me take
0: it back into our conversation where you said you were psyched on the demo tapes be going out to Rick to Life. Yeah, right? This is something that I find bizarre. Dude, he's the reason we got signed in that, in that, Well, So here's the thought process here. In 1996, you can give 50 tapes to some vagrant, <laughs> vagabond weirdo, and it helps your band get out. Half of the hardcore scene is like, fuck you, he's selling tapes, and I don't get my money. Now, here's the irony. No, 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 no. Here's the irony. 25 years later, the same fucking bands are getting a resurgence from freely distributed streaming services and YouTubes that they're also not getting no fucking money for. Well, listen, man. And I find – so so. this is my – this is a retroactive argument. Yes, you can be mad at Rich to Life sold potentially hundreds of your demos for $3 and got your band the only shows you played <laughs> in the three or four years of window of activity, but it was the free fucking streams that got your band back alive in the year 2020 or 2019 or 2023 so shut the fuck up about rich I, life listen i'm not paying I, you two dollars a tape I, we, that's that's the surreality of what we just talked about is where a physical tape can manifest you to be able to be in the career that you're at now to get
1: letters from japan and like all the it was just again i'd give him a hundred tapes if i could
0: <laughs> well that's the thing is and in, now we're in a situation today where the music distribution is so instantaneous that it allows for such a complete, like nothing really is of value, like in the same way, like when you talked about that, buying a record and it being bad, I listened to so many records that were the metal record of, that of band, the right? old school hardcore band <laughs> and be like, I thought, and I would feel like I got ripped off. Like, right. Why does it like, I, like I thought before, you know, like, good. And, right, right. Yeah, like what's <laughs> fucked up is I heard The Massacre from The Exploited before I heard the earlier oh, punk shit. <laughs> so like I still fuck hard. I, I still like The Massacre is like the illest Exploited rendered to me. But there's so much shit in its physical form that brings value because you put money into it and you have it and organically you're feeling it and you're stuck with them liner notes. And, you know, the, the time memorial is. oh, I read The Liner Notes. I saw this band. I checked this thing out. Today it's a scroll through, it's a click of a button, it's a PayPal. You got a Bandcamp, or you got the Spotify,
1: or it's just to say you have it in your collection, you know.
0: So there is a there is a, um, a a weird way that in the in your timeline that we're talking about is physical stuff became very important, and then physical entities became almost completely of no value. Like you said. Yeah. What the fuck? There's no band selling 10,000
1: CDs anymore. I mean, dude, what... It's a surreal thing to look at it this I, way. Dude, When was the last time you fucking saw even, like, a a fucking real thank you list? Like, remember reading... The- I don't even... I, I
0: gotta be honest with you. I don't know if I've looked through anything record-wise, because the records that I have on my wall, I have on um, cellophane, because I don't ever want to <laughs> fuck with them, because I love them. Like, I have my Coldest Life record right oh, here. Big. Because they didn't have an LP when we were kids. Well, you had I the just, CD. I think of, like, like for <laughs> instance,
1: know? like, you know, like, you'd sit there and you'd read the one that just sticks out because it had everybody's fucking name is like, the Satisfaction. Uh, thank fucking ones. right. And you'd be like, what band is that? Or, like, dude, I remember as a kid seeing Warped Weeble Wobbles and every thank you. Yeah. There was no way to the listen coolest. to them. And I'm like, how do you hear this? Like, who the fuck is this? And it'd be like, you know, you would just hear, like, mythology of these ba- And, I mean, I don't know, dude. It's just, like. Again, man, I'm. I'm like you said. I love everything about the present, but there was a lot of cool shit um, back then. I opened era. up.
0: I opened up the Strength Through Unity ten inch,
1: <laughs> and
0: saw Joe Hardcore thanked, and Where'd I you? thought I won the I think lot. There's I'm a like, picture. What the fuck? Isn't there? <laughs> is was there so
1: Has a picture of you and I in there. There's a picture with you and I in. Yes, one of we're them. in it. There's okay. in a
0: picture in one of the at yeah. one of the twenty five <laughs> delight things, and I'm looking at it going. There's me and Jay. I and love it's that. Awesome, and. And to think about it now, like these kids today are so fantastic that they have this bizarre ability to go hard on everything. They go hard on the past, whether it's Connecticut, Pennsylvania. If you're a CT hardcore kid, you know about this man, down. Well, and they're how just wild so op- and weird that record is. Dude,
1: they're just so open too, to listening to things. Like I said at the beginning, it's like you talk to a young kid now, and they're not. They're like, oh yeah, I like this band, this band, and this band. Whereas like when we were young, you would never say that even if you liked it, you know what I mean? And it's just like, Fuck no. I, I love to me, you know, like when you hear a band like a scowl or something, taking a big chance going for it, I love shit like that. That's what we try to do. So I get off, aw- you know, like to me, that's exciting because again, I don't, I agree with you, dude. Like I was just listening to, to your most recent episode. Like, I don't think this, you know, a band playing a, a large festival is, is going to change shit. Right. Cause like we just talked about with, with, with Haybreed. You and I have already lived through this month. That's why you and I, it's really no different whether it's banned whomever. It's gonna happen again. There after this dies down in whatever years, there'll be another turnstile, another knock loose, another scowl, whatever, right? But to me, dude, what's cool is that like when a band like that breaks through in a weird way, it does kind of help everything. You know, I don't think it's like. You know, man, I don't want to copycat everything you said on your podcast, but it's true. It's like, I don't think it's not an overnight thing. You know, I don't think the dude who's going to fucking see, you know, whomever at the fucking Webster Theater is going to come to the wham leg, you know, the next week. Yeah. But what I do think that is if we make things accessible to people, right? Like if, say, for instance, you do go to that large show at the Webster Theater, you know, whatever, something like that, and you're out there flyering. Which is something me and Josta used to do. You know, we'd go to like Limp Biscuit was playing or whomever. And we would go out there and fly her. And it, dude, we'd we'd probably get it about a thousand flyers. And you maybe would see like two of those kids come to the Hanover house. But it was yeah. like, you know, what but it maybe, was worth it. It was worth it. So in a lot of ways, I think if you make shit accessible for people, which is that that's what I love about Hey, 5-6, is like you could watch something, you could feel like, okay, I could go to this, and then you could, and it's right there, you know, and, and then I like what you said was like taken to the next level, dude, start a zine, start a fucking terrible band, start a fucking shitty tape label. Try to find a way to be involved without, try to find a a way to be involved without like making a name for yourself. If that makes sense. Right. Cause I think that's such a, yeah, it's like that fine line of like, I want to be in this, but I want to be in this so that everybody's like yo you're the fucking man at shit cuz that's a
0: weird line that the kids with the a, at the acts now like <laughs> you and I yeah. you got jay reason cuz of voice reason right. like Joe hardcore so, well, so back fast, then you would, and listen, they're like,
1: back then you know this dude was like your name and your band name Jamie Josta Jay a- Reason yeah. you know what I mean like and and who the I, fuck it, knows it Jay Gilbert people say it wrong all the time you can't fucking spell it you know it's yeah. like
0: so the kids today I feel some of them Work completely to just do the next thing, and I also think that in the same the same breath, there are people that have done very little work to really come like command like, well, do you know that I do this? And I'm like, yeah, you and 25 other people like keep doing it for another 20 years, and then people should genuflect to you because I don't walk in the show going, here I am. Here I walk in the show the same because to me, this is just what I do. This is what we've done. I feel as if the balance, it has to be there in the same way we said about we you're talking about, like the scowls and the way it works. It's not that it's never to demean these people. It's never to disrespect and say what you're doing is wrong. It's like there is a very good chance that there's going to be no people that saw Coachella that are going to end up listening to Mail. Yeah, totally. That being said, <laughs> maybe their personal exposure, they get they they check out some other stuff. That's good, but the the sum value doesn't reach out to tomorrow, like you said. The, whether it's the Lamb Leg, whether it, in um, Brockton they have that V F the, the Brockton V F W, or even the First United Charity Church, the ticket the ticket numbers don't change. I always yeah. say it's the goldfish theory. It's always the same size venues always hold whatever band like, and it's kind of cool if you think about it. Like if you have a band, if you have a, a band that comes to the church for Philly oh, this band also sold out. Right. This band also sold out. The same way, like, hardcore only has such a window because that's the size of the venue. Totally. And then when they go to the next size venue, now the barricades up. Now the security... Oh, and that's McCall what you Stolars. were saying.
1: It's like, it's like how many people use... Fuck, again, just treading delicately in this. It's like how many people use the 250 cap room route to be like, yo, we sold all this out. See you later. Like you were just saying, right? To just be like, yo, now we've done X, Y, and Z, right? And again, it's the, it
0: is the, it is the easiest stepping stone and the booking agents, a lot of them are hardcore dudes or used to be, or they work their hardcore bands. They know the system well enough. And for me, I'm not a willing participant, but if the kids who come to the 20 person show and the 50 person show are going to check out that band, we're going to do it. Now it gets to the point where it gets silly. Like I just did this band from the UK Loathe. They had supported Code Orange, and Code didn't do the Philly show. So for a couple days' notice, we dropped them onto a church show. They did 200-something people with four days' notice. Vended played, Diane Wish played. They come back in December. This is a band from the UK. They have ties in their world to the adjacent core shit, but they sell out the 650 room, no factor, to a completely separate audience. Right. They have their own inbound crowd. I will probably never have to work with Lode again because they're on the track to be a bigger band. Right. And I'm not going to walk around going, hey, I booked lode's show. <laughs> but this is the nature of what happens to someone like me when I have access to a smaller room because it's not lode that I'm helping. It's my business relationship and my friendship with their agent right. and the other bands. Like, hey, can you make this happen? Yeah, I'm going to make it happen. But I'm not going to sit there and be like, Yo, know, it's on me. Loathe was gonna go up without right. it. I think sometimes people personify themselves in what they work on and do. And it's like, if I wasn't here, there'd be someone else. Now, there's the way thing's different. Done, but there's always someone else. So, personally, you got to do the task. Start the band. If it sucks, you'll do another one. If you really like it, you'll do more than one of them. Well, and I, th- I
1: think a lot of the ways, man, the, the way that this really grows, right, is like the. It's like this: a dude like. You or I sees a dude who go who went to and you gotta remember too that these big festivals, man, seventy or eighty percent of the people are there to just be at a festival. They don't give a fuck about what's on. They don't care. This was the this was the argument that I you
0: named two of the bands that were there. I won't bring them up, but in Europe, Shadow Realm was having a discussion with these other bands, and I have flagrantly said, I do really hate the giant stage Euro festivals. I get up there and I don't feel any, like I feel nothing. Like, right. like it's not me standing there in that man ball or that biohazard or that eat dog or that machine head dynamo 95 <laughs> video that we all watch <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> I stand up there and it's not performance dread. I don't give a fuck about anyone I'm looking at. Right. And that's because I'm fucking sociopathic or fucking no, but I'm like, antisocial. But like I get up there and I see this I see the thirty-five armed security guards <laughs> and the, the the fucking the the World War II trench between my fucking stage and the barricade and I go, why am I here? Right. Like this isn't cool. Well I'd rather get kicked in the face at a hall show. So I've never joined that world. So I look at that world and I go, This isn't my shit, man.
1: Yeah, like point and simple. This ain't my shit. I think the way our thing grows is is one is somebody like us sees that person and says, "Hey, man, you like this? You might like that." And you bring that person to a show. It's one one at a time. Or honestly, the way I've noticed in Connecticut, really, the really young, I would say, like resurgence of stuff, dude, is like is really giving a chance to a young kid. So like you know, we put out in static or we put out Ilcom. They're like, they, they just, they broke up unfortunately, but they were a brand new band. I hadn't gotten to know the kid over a, uh, you know, a year or so super respectful. I was like, you know what, dude, let me fucking just put this out. And they were super good. And I noticed that they would bring their friends and those things. And I think as long as people like us make it accessible and not intimidating for that, of course you tell people like, look, watch out what you're doing. Don't come in here like a fucking asshole or whatever, but, if you make, you know, the entry point for somebody kind of accessible and you show that support, dude, I think that they tell their friend, you know, and I think that that's a much better way to grow than, you know, like you were saying, dude, I don't think anyone who goes to some festival is going to be like, Oh fuck, let me go to the wham leg next Sunday and sit in the parking lot. Like, you know, no, they're going to that to take picture. And this is no shit on that. Like, listen, dude, I work with clients in that and I love that space, but that's like a fucking, it's a, it's a selfie thing. It's a, you're going for an experience. It's, the music is so secondary, where I think yeah, I think uh, it's actually you know, the yeah.
0: uh, it's background music to the selfie. It, it totally is. Man. To probably it really is. I think in in concept for gatekeeping in the modern era, because of the Spotify, the YouTube, the eight five six, it's almost a moot point to discuss it because it's not gatekeeping and keeping people from seeing this. What has to happen is, and this is where the the core like the the double entendre of the core values. <laughs> If your core value of your hardcore scene is that if like we have a lot of B and C markets in Pennsylvania, where there's out in the out in the central and west further out, there isn't the same hardcore scene. So there are hardcore kids by their own definition in places with barricades, but then they come to the church, they're unfamiliar. Same thing in New Jersey. New Jersey's primarily bigger clubs with a different attitude. So when they come to the smaller hall shows that are now starting to pop back up in New Jersey, some of these people don't know. Right. It's the hardcore culture's job to walk these people in. And also, st- record stop, hey, don't fucking do yeah, that. Yeah, don't act like because that. Because it is – and if you do that, you can balance the you can balance the point of allowing new people to come in, unrestricted access, have fun. Like we had a tsunami show, I was saying to you, and it was 90% not kids that go to our hardcore Dude, I shows. went to the Connecticut but they, show. I
1: didn't recognize – uh, anybody, but it was awesome. It's a crazy. new, I love them. it's a new world. And I
0: said, the last time I felt like this was in, in 2014, when the twitching tongues, uh, toured with code orange, I was, I did, it was small venue, of uh, 400 cap. And I'm standing there. And besides who was working at the door and maybe 10 of our <laughs> friends, I'm like, I don't know anybody. And those same kids now on to go and the, go, went on to either nothing, or they went on to doing tons of bands and they're still with us. It's our job as we get older and the people that are doing these shows shepherd people in, give them the respect of showing up, but they'll also not be afraid to tell them outright because of the Internet is the new way of everything. Like in retroactive, you know, hey, you should have did this. Well, Why don't you say it in person? It's always like, oh, there's a fight. Why don't you say it in person?
1: Yeah. T- and I think and like, I think that. It, oh, sorry. I think like I think, say, like, I think the- a lot of a lot of it, dude, like you just said, is showing respect, man. Like so we distance just played our first show back in like 15 years in november of last year and then we played the death threat shows that just passed but i feel like dude because i'm so open and respectful and go and watch the younger bands and put out younger records and dude you know like i'm always giving advice and and doing shit when it's asked that like when we played bro we had such a good response and i felt like we didn't come off like old heads because i don't i don't go to those kids like an old head dude we would have played first if we had to you know what I'm saying? Like, I never, I, I'll never, and you know that about me, dude. I I will never go into something being like, I should be here, or I should do that. Like, I should always open. Why the fuck wouldn't I? We haven't played in so long. Who Honestly, the fuck, you know? sometimes the best shows you open totally. You get your set over with, and you it just get, get to peace. watch the bands. Totally, man.
0: I there's a weird pecking order now where you pay, like bands like scoff at their money. Scoff at how big their fly, like we talk about the yeah, how was, podcast, <laughs> how big your own, how big your logo is on the flyer, or like, oh, we're playing after them. It's like, dude, the last thing most people want to do is get sit holding the bag and having to head. totally. Bag. Anytime you can get up there, play in front of people, you should just feel proud and that you are yeah. able to do something because most of the people that live on your street don't get to do these things. Totally, That's something that No, and I, and I, ties every.
1: I, I was saying before, I'm so grateful, dude. I was so grateful to Isaac for coming and doing the show with us because. You know, dude, we hadn't played in a long time and I definitely had gotten the itch. Um, you know, we had been asked to do stuff over the years. But again, man, I never really felt like it was my place, dude. I always felt like I was like, why? You know what I mean? But then finally, uh, you know, dude, again, I'm just I don't know if it's because I'm old now and I just get bored. But I felt I was like, you know, I'll do it and see if anybody cares. And it, it went really well. And then they asked us to do uh, those the death threat anniversary show, which is fucking awesome. Um. Yeah. And it was just great to do it again, Joe. And I had missed it, dude. I gotta be honest. It was a lot of work getting prepared to do it. Cause it'd been so long. Um, I am working on new music. Um, but it was really, yeah, it felt really good to do it again, man. And I felt like, how are you going to, how are you going to balance
0: that itch that comes when you start playing with, Hey, I got to hold down the fort at home. How are you going to do that? So
1: thankfully for, for my girl Viv, I can't really do that. She's she she kind of keeps me she keeps me in check, you know, like and again, too, man, I'm super realistic of like what we are, what we did. You know, we're not we're not American Nightmare. We're not one of those bands. But in our little world, in our hometown, you know, we affected some people and I love that. And if we could play once a year, do twice a year, I'll be so happy, man. Like I said, I'm I'm not a looking back person. You know that about me. I'm always working on something new. Um, so a lot of this too is like, it's cool because it really just gives me, um, a platform to talk about new music again. And when, when my track is done, which I'm, I'm wrapping up with Greg Thomas from end, um, in a couple of weeks and then hopefully it'll be out for the summertime, man. It, it gives me, a, it gives me a new platform to be out there. So now i not, it's not like all of a sudden, like all oh, this fucking dude's just out with the song again. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, dude, I think I'm like you, man, I'm always going to have that in me. I'm always going to want to play. And I always love the record we did, and I feel like it goes over better now than it ever did. You like with the past two shows we played. You know, we always did we always did good in in our hometown. I don't want to make it sound like whatever, but bro, when we played the last two shows, it was like a different like the record. I think just over time has has people understand what we were going for. Where maybe at the time it was a miss, you know?
0: What again? Like um, in, in right now, Twitch and Tongues just said, "Hey, we're coming back." Right there was a moment where they were the coming up, but when they took their music <laughs> offline with what was most popular, people were kind of like, oh, now this next generation came in and they give these records a listen. They give it a second touch. I, I just said to Colin, you know, like I think that the modern kids have a wider ear musically. I, oh, I didn't say it that way, but, but I think in general, my, my point was I said to him, like, I think this modern era is going to re- warmly receive and Tongues better than when they first came out because those records are something that kids had time to sit and listen on. It's a bitter thing what hardcore does. If you are down the middle, people either like you or they call you generic. If you are in any bit way just perfectly generic enough that, like you know, like with the youth crew, if you're if you're just youth today enough, <laughs> yeah. there's going to be people like you. And then there's gonna be someone who's like, ah, that I fucking heard of a hundred bands like that. Fuck that. Right. The, the 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 fucking razor point sharp of either you're loved or hated, I can't figure it out because there's bands that have been exemplary musicians beyond the point. Like, I mean there's a million bands we can you know reference dissolve, I think is one of them yep. that you might fuck with, you know, like that just didn't get their due. Whereas the most generic shit popped quicker. Oh well. And there's I, also just like I, socially in time voice of reason that like we just talked about when there was a pop and scene for you guys are not you guys. Not you guys me, yeah, can't we, come we, over we, here. Well, listen,
1: I will tell you, man, we were never, I'm going to even just say me. I've never been a dude who's invited to the party. So I make my own fucking party and that's always how it's been, bro. And that's, that's listen. The one thing I'll always say is like, we may not have fucking fit in. We may not have done this, but dude, I'll do it all again. I'm appreciative of everybody who's ever fucking listened to us. I think that we, genuinely do did things that I couldn't imagine. And and one of the things I want to say, man, is is you got to remember something and and Joe, you'll get this cause you've known me a long time. When we went to do that record. Okay. Uh, we went to, we, we had a variety of labels to sign to. Okay. Abacus, which was part of century media. I would say, okay, th- if I was going to do a regret of a music thing, there there's two, I would have a, I would have done the victory. I would have done the voice of reason record on victory. Like Josta said, we should have. And, I would have done the the distance record on something else only because dude, when it, when we were done recording that record, I remember saying to Shep, the producer and to the band, and I don't mean this in any kind of like ego way, but I just said to them, I was like, I was like, the label's not going to know what to do with this record because it was just, it was a major label record at a, at a record label that wanted us to maybe do a hardcore record, but also wanted me to use like every favor I had, so, like, we bring Burt from the used on the record, you know. And, and like I said, man, I love that record. I just wish it would have maybe came out another thing. And then, what I was going to say about that, dude, is you got to remember that they gave us, we were one of the last big record deals there. So, I won't say the full amount, but, dude, we got a shit ton of money to go do the record, get a van. You know, Josta negotiated the deal for us, and we were doing really good, you know. But. They just didn't fucking know what to do with it, so we got a ton of money. And I just was like, you know what, dude, I'm gonna go fucking make the record I want to go do. So get the best, pro- get, go get the producer, go get the writers that can make the videos, make the DVDs. And it's like, all that shit was great because you know what, dude, all everything is past and At least I got that experience still, so I wouldn't change it, dude. You know, and I love the record.
0: Why do you think that they buy these records if they don't know what to do with them? I've always wanted to have someone taxes, just straight out answer taxes,
1: that. tax write off. Explain that. So, without being too, like, you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but, like, oh, if you... not uh, don't,
0: put, don't, put, don't put no names well, out there. Just, just like, speak to the power. Okay,
1: so, so say you give a band a lot of money and the record doesn't do well. You can go to your account and you're like, yo, this, this is a loss. And if you have something like Century Media where they fucking sign so much stuff versus shit that actually takes off, you know, you could write off, like, fucking huge advances. So, like, giving a band a big advance to go buy a van and a trailer and all these things is, like, totally pointless after after a certain amount. Because was Abacus ever going to be a label that was going to stick around? Who fucking knows? You know what I mean? They had a lot of good bands. We went over there because Sick of It All was there. Ignite was there. Um, I forget. Oh, they had Juliana's Theory. I mean, dude, they had some fucking big bands. And like I said, man, they came with the biggest advance. And we really wanted to do a big record. You know what I mean? Like,
0: what does a band do with a big advance if someone oh, like we band. bought?
1: Like literally, we bought a van. That was the first thing we did. Like we bought at the time. I think it was like so. Say maybe that was like 2005. The record came out in 06. So maybe say like we got the advance in like oh, end of 05, 06. We bought like a 2002 or 2001 15 passenger van. We bought a trailer. Bought some gear. Like, shit, so we could go be a real band. And then we we spent a shit ton on the record. Like, we went and got a fucking real producer. I had Burt from The Used come in. We did a fucking huge video. Like, I just, dude, again, man, like, going back to what I had said at the beginning of this, is, like, all I ever fucking wanted to do was be in a band or fucking go record. I'd watch, you know, La Bamba a million times in fourth grade, and I was like, I want to do that. Like, so, dude, when somebody said to me, here's a fucking check, like, of course. I mean, yeah, I could have gone to Zeus and done... Bridge Nine record part two, but I didn't feel like doing that. You know, we had taken a little bit of a trajectory working with, um, before the record came out, which with Matt Hyde, who did the, he did Hayward Perseverance, but he also did like No Doubt and all these other things. And we worked with him for about a year. Um, we recorded almost the whole album before it came out. We were going to change the name. There was all this stuff, dude. We almost ended up on a major. There was, there was all these things, Joe. But then when the time came to it, Abacus came with the money, and I was like, fuck it, man. Let's just make the record we want. We can go get the van. We can go do all these things. And I i think I still thought that maybe we would. I, I definitely thought the record would hit. And then when it didn't, it was just like, I didn't know what the fuck to do. And that's that's kind of where I ended up back telling you about the jobs and shit. You know, I just I didn't know what to do because I was always all in, you know, and I think a lot of that comes from Josta because it was there was just always no plan B. What the fuck was I going to do, dude? I didn't have a. You know, no, like n- really, no education to in high school. You know, there was nothing I could really go do. Dude, dude, this was it. It's gonna be thirty years old. What the fuck else was I gonna do?
0: Well, like, thinking about it, if you don't go all in, you're gonna say I should have, could have, wouldn't. Mm-hmm. You do it, it, it 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 goes where it is. You know, like um the the biggest failure of this hardcore was thinking that we could bring in audiences that are just outside the scope of hardcore because of the band name at the top. Like of the
1: you were field. saying kill switch, right? It,
0: yeah. And it was one of the hardest lessons to learn that no matter who you book, you have to be able to promote to that crowd and get them to walk in the door, you know? And I think that this becomes something that gets lost on people. And I think in the, in the time frame where you're going to see some more of these bands grow just beyond hardcore, you're going to see some smaller fests say, Hey, you know what? Like we can pull this band in and they're just going to sell our room out. And that was one of the hardest lessons to learn was like, listen, at the end of the day, this is a, hard, this is a hall show. I rent the motherfucker like a hall right. I have to get my own insurance. Like, and I had to treat it like a hall show and stop pretending like there is another world. If I just do 10 other things, no, it's not there. Right. And I think that if you had written anything less than what you wanted to and done the things and in your fashion, bring in these people and do this thing. You would be sitting here with a different attitude. And I think oh, the perspective that the perspective that you came from it 100%. carries you to this day.
1: Well, and listen, man, I, I, I'm also not going to lie and say I don't sit here and think like, you know, like, for instance, when we the first time we went to Europe, it was right after the record came out. The record was released on Alvaron over there, which was like. uh Yeah. And I just remember them being like. That
0: was that was a shattered realm versus punishment mistake. Oh, so they John, who's my friend. John's my friend. And he said, "If you want, I'll put you on. I'll put you on Eulogy, but it'll be through Alvaran." All the old heads told me, "Europe ripped everybody off. Don't do it." Blah blah blah. So punishment never went to Europe. Our records never got to Europe, whether it was too damn hype or Thorpe. We never had a chance. And then shattered realm because they went
1: Eulogy Alvaran. I remember that's how I even knew who they were. We-
0: and the same thing for it was uh, Shadow Realm, Barrier Dead, and someone else all went to Alvaran, and it was night and day. Even though when we were playing, you know, like we were all getting decent responses, and we were touring all the same, we were all friends. I, mean, I can't tell you how many shows we played with all the same bands, but it was that European Alvaran connection that really pushed Shadow Realm way further along in the European. Yeah, world. I
1: mean, I got I got a shout out Jasta to that because he. So it was funny. Like I remember specifically, dude. Like our record comes out, and we're trying to just go for not. I don't want to say different tours, but like kind of just different stuff, right? And I remember we're up. We're we're supposed to go to Europe, which I'm I'm so happy we we saw it through because the lineup was a uh, sick of it all, Madball, Terror, Walls of Jericho, Comeback Kid. Ah, you um, would
0: have paid for part of their bus. Yeah, <laughs> That's the trick, right? Well, J- yeah, so J- <laughs> Josta
1: got us on it because Hey, Bri had just finished over something there. Um, but I remember that at the same time, 18 Visions needed somebody to open their U.S. tour, and I remember so desperately wanting that tour. And Jostin was like, "Bro, it's fucking Europe. Like, you gotta go." And we went to Europe. And to his point, I'm so I'm so glad that I did. So like again, there there's I I have these times, you know, not regrets, but just these like, man, I I should have listened to you know like these, these I should have listened to Jostin done this or that, you know. And that that's one of those those things I'm glad I listened to him because that tour was. Such a great experience getting to go to Europe there. Um, you know, we were on Alvaron, so people knew the record. But where I was going with that was the first thing that they had said to us because originally Jake Bannon was supposed to do the cover art for the record, and the fucking Abacus staff outside of my boy Joey was pretty punishing and they were just like harassing him. So Joe, uh, Jake was like, You know, I, I can't do this because these dudes are just like on my ass. So, so we had to just get. Whatever done. And and so shout out to Scott McGrath from Maggot Stomp, who ended up like putting together the the layout at kind of like century media abacus's uh direction. And they went for obviously like a very like new emo looking cover. And and listen, dude, I'm not gonna say I fought them on it. I didn't give a shit. I was like, yeah, if this'll get us on Best Buy or whatever, I'm I'm down. You know, I don't want to front like anybody force me to do no shit. Um but you know, it was just a, It was just such a different time, dude. Like in just such a different world. Like to go full circle to what you're saying, the kids now do have. They're more. They'll put whatever on a cover. It's like it's so secondary. They don't give a shit. You know, it's not like it.
0: No, won't. The, the the thought process is so broken down to. Yeah, fuck it. Let's just do it. They they're constantly doing and going, and they have a way less critical. They're not. They do sometimes still keep in like keeping up with the Joneses, and they're all very competitive, even though quietly competitive. Online supportive, behind the scenes, super competitive. But I, but I find that the younger people have less concern about, and there's almost like a flagrant, like, well, if they don't like it, fuck them. We're doing it this way. As there is an edginess that has pushed some of the boundaries has pushed some of the aesthetics in a different direction because they have the outlet to be like, we're going to challenge this notion. And there's always a weird bar of where someone pushes too far Code pushed too far by some standards, but now the bands like Candy and Vane and these other bands are now basically taking the playbook that people are like, oh, why Code do this? And they're like, oh, Vane did this. Right. Oh, fucking Candy. Well, like, know, you know, like, got, well, Code did that two years ago. I got to shout out
1: Code. I'm I'm a huge fan. And again, going back to to the bands we were talking about, dude. Like to me, when I see Code, and I followed Code when they were still Code Orange Kids on Deathwish, it's like when I see bands like that taking a big jump and a big stride, I get excited, man, the same way we did, because I will always think it's so ballsy that you're just like, you got you're like at a spot where everybody wants your next shit and you're doing good. And you're just like, nah, fuck it. Do something else. You know? And it was like, like I said, man, I don't, I definitely think if we would have kept kind of the trajectory of the bridge nine sound that we had, you know, I definitely think we could have been like a mid level, always opener band and probably still be playing till this day. But, what if i didn't take a chance bro i would have been bummed. you know what i mean so and i think that's what i'm saying is like when i see bands like a code orange or a scowl or whomever like going for it i mean dude i would have too if i had all the tools that somebody has available now bro i would have been fucking more annoying than i was back then
0: i think that at the end of the day when you look at these things it's a, it's like a lens where you could quarterback it and say oh i should have could have but i'm glad that you don't I'm glad that you see the value in what's going on now. Where do you see the stuff that you're working on go? And do you see yourself push yourself back in a hardcore way or are you going to continue kind of like doing the stuff you do with static era and then you have your, your big boy job where you're doing the, the other shit?
1: I mean, dude, in a perfect world, both, right? So like static era... Yeah. I have a really great team behind me, man. I have some really great people that work with me. I never say work for, cause I don't believe in that. I have really great people that work with me that make sure the shop's running or, or help me out on the label side. And I gotta be honest, Joe, I love working with clients, man. I'm a big people person, dude. It's it's one thing I love about the shop. I feel like I learn so much from talking to everybody. Um, so in a perfect world, man, I'd be doing both, you know, like we have some really exciting things coming out on, on static era. Like right now we have a pre-order up for this band called cinema Stair. Connecticut's female fronted like pop punk, early like Vagrant, Equal Vision, Rock stuff. And it's doing great, man. We got some awesome Spotify playlists and Apple playlists. You know, shit that kind of matters in that world. Um, and I very much have a vision, you know, for the label. So I would love to see that, you know, and I think the store is cool. Um, but it'll always be about the label to me, man. And and like I said, man, I'm always looking for shit. I don't like to say that we do one type of thing or the other because you might come to me with something that's so good that doesn't fit in a box and that's the shit I'm looking for. So I I always say, send me everything again, dude, I have, there's so many tools available that like, I'm pretty fortunate dude, that. I can help a lot of people, whether the position is they're just starting out and they don't know how to fucking upload something or there's somebody who's sold millions of records and they need to monetize their newest thing. And I feel fortunate that we can help our friends on any scale like that, man. It's, it's something I'm really proud of learning and, and taking the time to, to understand, you know?
0: I think your communication skills are on par. Thank like you. Like the uh to your point and all the amazing things. I tell you I have this thing right here. Let's circle back to that. Yeah. I've got this little <laughs> I got my chon right here. <laughs> so the whole time I'm like trying not to hit this chon. But it's awesome to hear it. But I think the key thing is is if someone who doesn't know you can take away anything, it's like, hey man, this is where this is where you can come from. You can start hardcore totally. with nothing and you can take attention. things as far as you want or you could play the game like everybody else and i like that you are the kind of person that takes things as far as you can go instead of saying this is the box that everyone else is playing in this is where i'm in and then the lack of the lack of self limitation that you have the, oh, i don't know if that's even the right terminology but like you didn't say oh don
1: fury he won't know so You should go i don't give a fuck i'm going to hit this guy well, up this what's the, what the he worst he, he wasn't going to call me back right yeah, i mean like, like listen dude you're you're talking to a dude that like Bro, I've had, you know, not shit I want to talk about here, but I've had terrible shit happen to me So, or, and, and to my family and different things. So it's like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Somebody's not going to fucking call me back. They're going to say no. They're not interested. Okay, man, there's other producers. There's other shit, you know, like end of the day, dude, in what I do, dude, it's like we're not fucking curing cancer. We're not, you know, we're it's the most fucking basic shit. And I'm going to treat it like that. And some of my clients don't like that, but I, I tell them that. I'm like, look, dude, we're not fucking curing, you know, a disease. The record's going to come out and it does what it does. You're either going to pay this or pay that. It does this or it does that. Your fan base is this or that. And I think a lot of times, man, it's like, it's when you put yourself on these expectations or you build up something in your head. Like, you know, if I would have said, oh, I'm going to start Static Air and it's going to be the next this and we're going to do that or this or that, I would have just been setting myself up for failure because, dude, you know how hard it is to get a fucking Spotify editorial playlist? You know how hard it is to fucking find a good band that isn't already taken or fucking doesn't want? I mean, it's hard. And it's harder than ever in 2023 when there are so many great labels. But, you know, I do have a a, a path and I'm I'm very fortunate, dude, that a lot of our friends like, you know, the Tim Williams of the world, the Chris's from Cruel Hand and, you know, all these people believed in what I was starting and and did records with me. You know, so I'm I'm lucky, man. I'm I'm lucky. I'm fortunate dudes like you, you know, Hoy, all these people look out to like give me a platform to talk about this stuff and tell my story. Because, again, what I always tell everybody is like, dude, just pay attention to what you're doing, because. We weren't like some fucking big band or anything, but when we were in the studio, instead of just sitting there and, you know, doing whatever I'd ask somebody like, Oh, what are you doing? What's this? What's that guy? How's this work? To, to the point, maybe annoying at sometimes, but dude, now if you need something, somebody, a listener needs something, dude, you could fucking ask me and you know, most of the time I'll know it or I'll know somebody who can do it for us.
0: Well, that's why I was going to leave you with the last thing I want to talk about is because of how much you relied early on on mentorship are there people that you're bringing along the way? Are there people that you're bringing up or like, give like, is there something that you're trying to do? Like, cause I feel as if like, for me, I I got lucky that Bob was young enough that I could show him what we were doing. Now he's got FYA. We've got Stucky, we've got Alex, you know, we've got people coming up under us and we're showing a way. Are you doing that in any capacity?
1: I mean, I think the shop is definitely one of those things, Joe, like the shop for me, I mean, dude, I I can, I'll tell you, man, I'll buy demos or local band stuff that never sells, but I don't give a shit because I was that local band that didn't sell. Right. So I'm always going to buy that demo. I'm always going to buy that thing. And it goes back to what I said in the beginning, where it's like, you show these kids respect. You know, do we have kids who come in the shop who are like 14, 15, and you could tell they're like nervous because they're kids and they think they're going to yell at. And I always say to them, like, dude, you could fucking do whatever you want in my store. Because when you come into my shop, dude, you're treated the way that I would want to be treated. Well, no matter how fucking old you are. Because I think a lot of times, man, like these kids and younger people need to feel something, dude. And for me, if I can do that and provide that in any context, dude, um, I'm always accessible. So like while I don't, you know, provide like say like a hand, you know, like a a one-on-one mentorship with somebody like there's, I definitely always help the local promoters. Like, you know, 7th Circle, shout out to 7th Circle guys. Those are my dudes. They
0: they are fantastic. They've been doing a great job. And they, they, they've they done a lot of really cool shows over the last so, couple of so years. So Sean,
1: Sean, Sean Nyland, who 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 runs 7th Circle, actually plays bass in the distance now. So full circle. Uh, yeah. you know, so it's sick. You know, and again, just, um, you know, dude, like everybody I think, or at least I feel, and I'll say it on here, is that like, I am super available. Again, if somebody has a question, I'm not saying I'm not, not a lawyer or nothing, but like, dude, if you ever have a question or you want to know how something works, like fucking hit me up, man. Like that's, Joe, how I got, to where we are with so many people were available. You know what I mean? And and so I'm always available. I'll never not have the time for somebody because you know what, dude, like I remember not getting that response or not whatever from somebody. So dude, it might take me a fucking month, but I will always email you back. I always got time for five, you know, five, 10 minute call, come by the shop, talk, you know, like, dude, I'm I'm always happy to recommend a manufacturer, a a producer, a fucking podcast server, anything, dude. Again, like, all of the shit that I feel like I've taken the time to learn is so that when someone comes to us and asks something, it's like I can just tell you this and not be like, oh, it's this, but I also need 50% of what you're getting. Oh, it's this, but I need Bingo. to take that from you. Oh, you want to know this, dude, bro? Oh, yeah, of course. But I also, I'm going to need this and this from you because you know what, dude, all the shit's out there. So what what difference does it make whether I tell you it or not? We don't have the same wants. We're not going after the same thing. So I'm not scared. Like to me, dude, I'm not scared to educate somebody. I'm not scared to turn somebody onto something because in the day, dude, you don't want the same shit I want. Yeah. You know,
0: no, I, I feel like, I feel like there is a, there was that time period specifically where you couldn't, you you would think it would be like the, um, the cold war. You didn't want to, you couldn't get yeah. all the information. Cause then, you know, who, who knows what you're going to do with this? Right. You could take, And it's like, there's no corporate takeover. I can't share my CD
1: manufacturer with you. It's like, come on, I, dude, I can't tell you. I would say probably like five of our friends, I've switched their, their CD manufacturers because they were paying too much. Because that's just how it is. Wow. I'm just like, I'm like, dude, you know, like if I can save a dollar, why wouldn't I tell my friends how to do that?
0: Yeah, it's, it's actually, it is one of the, and it always goes back to the common everyday thing that hardcore just always relied upon. And, you know, like we talked about so many different ways with the, the John Berry catalog. Yeah, these are intrinsic things that you were building off of from the beginning to get you to where you're at. I was looking at my notes, and I, and the last thing I got to ask you is here you know, I know that it's hard to sit there and think about this because it, you're both. Is there stuff that you wish you would have done once you learned from the distance back to a uh, voice oh, region man, or reason? Like, or, of course, region?
1: yeah, like I said, man, I, I wish we. And a lot of it just had to do with the accessibility, man. I wish we could have toured. I wish Voice Reason could have played to California. I wish we would have done the, the record on Victory, which was like... So we, we did... Real, I'm, this is going to make it really short, but we did a song on this, a Victory comp. It was a yeah. Strong 99, right? Yep. Josta produced it for us. And, and in all there... I don't want to talk too out of turn. It was a long time ago, but we were maybe going to do the record on Victory. We ended up doing it yeah. on Triple Crown. I love Fred. But it would have been great to do it on victory that just because of the legacy and the way that that label is kind of looked at, that would have been the only thing. But dude, for the most part, like I said, man, everything that I learned, whether it's like an embarrassing song that we put out or a shitty t-shirt design or whatever, it's like, dude, that's what made me do the next thing better or made it, made me understand why that didn't work or or how now I could tell a client, don't do it that way or tell a friend, this is, this is whack, you know, like where so much of the stuff that I did I never knew it would be that. Like, I didn't think the voice reason demo would be the, the seven inch, you know, like we just recorded. So then when it's on vinyl, now it's this thing and you're like, okay, maybe I wish I would have done the layout different, but what are you going to do? You know what I mean? So then the next time when we did something, you know, we got it, we got somebody else. And I think my mistake dude was always looking at names. So like we had John LaCroix do the layout, you know, he was in 10 Yard flight and stuff, but I don't know if he captured the right vibe or he was just going for an artsy thing. And I was always too scared to be like, well, that's not the maybe that's not the right look for us. So there were some times where I wish I pushed back. But again, dude, then when the distance started, I knew exactly what I wanted because of the voice reason I was learning so much, if that makes sense. You know, but yeah, man, I just I want to thank you, Joe, so much for giving me so much of your time today, man. This was so much fun. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. There's there's so much stuff we haven't gone through, but I have so, I have like two pages of note out
0: in front of me <laughs> and I've crossed off like nine things and you added so much element to it that it's like I could be, I'm sorry if I series. ramble I'm
1: sorry if I rambled, guys. Fuck it's, no. It's just that like when I talk no. to Joe, it's so easy. Like I said, man, I, I could talk it, to you about so much, so many different things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that just to leave everybody with this is that like you know, man, I'm always available. I'm, I, I always want to hear everybody's demo. I always want to try to bring somebody to connect. Joe, you know this from when I was a kid. I mean, I'll never. That just hasn't changed, man. There, That's always something I'm going to want to do. I'm always going to want to be involved in this shit. Like, like Viv makes fun of me because I just go to so many shows. But I fucking love it, Joe. I still love, you know, dude. And, I, and, and listen, when I tell you I go to shows, man, I pay for my ticket. I don't fucking get, you know, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm the dude at the door that those kids are like, you don't got to give me the money. And I'm like, why wouldn't I? Fans got it, you know, like, dude, I don't again, dude, I love being in it, dude. I don't go in there going like, let me go to these shows because I know I can get for free or people are going to look at me a certain way. It's like I go because I love it. I love seeing all the people. I love seeing how it has evolved, dude, from when you and I were kids to now. Like I said, dude, it's it's so different and so open and so accessible. And I get so excited when I see bands break through, whether it's, you know, dude, a new band playing their first show to fucking you know, like Gorilla Biscuits played, and they, you know, they had this band Montclair who, who just kind of playing in Connecticut, and it was so cool to see these older heads getting into that. And I was like, see, that's what's so fucking cool about this shit. Like, you ain't gonna go, to well, fucking, a, you ain't gonna go to the fucking arena and see that.
0: No, it is still completely organic ours. And I think that as long as people are still doing it, it always will stay ours, you know, regardless of whose names are at the top of the bill.
1: Totally, man. I'm dying to see you, man. I, I got to make it out. I said this on our episode. I'm dying to get out to Philly. I told Viv we got to, like, plan, like, a. she's a big foodie, so we have to plan, like, a foodie uh, show. Um, that would be the way I could I could plan it to be like, yo, there's got to be this. Um, Philadelphia
0: has better uh, restaurants than most
1: places. I can't. That's all I'm Listen, you. you know what I mean? I don't eat. I eat, like, garbage.
0: I'm a city kid. Oh, meat's too. But I can um, – <laughs> but, uh, but there are – there are plenty of people in my circle that can point you in all the best direction. Listen,
1: she's the foodie. I'm not bro. I'm, I'm a pizza and chicken fingers. And fr- I'm, I'm done. Fucking that's, awful. that's me all day. Yo, I love you so much, Joe. Thank you for love the it, opportunity, man. man. This was so do the, cool. uh, do the official sign
0: off. If someone went to contact you and where do you people do the ads to find your <laughs> shit that you have going on? All right.
1: On. Grab me at, uh, at J reason everywhere on all the socials and then follow Diablo's Den podcast. That's me and, uh, Ezek's podcast been doing it for a couple of years episode now. 13 is that the one yeah that's the newest one and, and the numbering is weird fuck because it. we did during the pandemic we recorded a bunch yeah. of episodes but we're getting back into it now so episode 13 was with my boy joe It was dude i like i said i was cracking the fuck up um so yeah keep up with that uh i got new music coming soon which that'll be up and not maybe i'll hit you up joe and see if i can get a premiere on the on the podcast, always, when it's ready. Always,
0: um, step, you'll be you'll be first song as always. As soon as you send me
1: something, uh, you're the man, dude. Thank you so much for love coming. you, man. Thank
0: you for the conversation. Right, Thank brother. you for giving me your time. I appreciate. It. Take Thank care, you so bud. much later. Later.